This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to There Will Be Dungeons. From therewillbedungeons.com, I'm Scott with John Jagger, Kristen Ashton, and Kyle Ferguson. No bow today. He is on assignment. And so John has put on his big boy DM pants and will be in charge of tonight's proceedings, which are going to be very exciting. So I'm glad you're all here. Cozy on up. Have us a listen. If you're at home and listening on audio only, just know that we look great. Okay? That's all you need to know is we look fantastic. All right. As is the tradition here on the show, we'd like to get a summary of what happened. Oh, are we doing that this week since this is a one-off? We probably are, are we? not not relevant. So... (laughs) Hey, last I week. I try to make something up, but I don't think it'd be pretty. Last time people would be little... like, "Wow, that's really interesting. I can't wait to hear what happens." And then we'd completely be ignoring it. So probably not. A yeah. Good idea. So I'll say this: last time on there will be dungeons. We did a bunch of stuff that you're probably going to want to go and listen to. But today we uh, we adventure forth into a, a slightly new place, similar, familiar zones, but not exactly the same adventure. Uh, so I will now turn everything over to John Jagger. Who will DM us through the rest of our day? Hi, everybody. Hi, John. Uh, so normally, when I'm in the DM chair, we play uh, a game with you know certain characters, and uh, we call it the inverse setting. We're not doing that this week. Just a little disclaimer before everybody goes. Where's Garpoon? Because we know what people want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're we're doing something a little different. Uh, the story where that is, uh, I would want Bo to be here to continue it. So this week, our story is going to take place in the Wastes. The very same wasteland we've adventured through these past, I don't even remember what we're up to, episodes. And it takes place long before Nash, Varel, Hope, and Stanley set out from Dust Hill. This story begins with the Dune Breaker a massive mechanical caravan that travels the settled elements of the wasteland, bringing with it essentials that can't be found anywhere else. Our story opens in an arena of rusted iron, flanked by makeshift stands, filled with people of all kinds, gathered for an event that rarely happens, and even rarer that they get to see or attend it. A tournament that is held to replenish the guard that makes up the illustrious Dunebreaker. For two days and two nights, the strongest who gathered uh, have competed and battled in an attempt to win life aboard the ship. They've been tested until only a few remain. 
now, as the third and final day draws to a close, the final challengers are gathered in the center of an arena and prepare to face their final test. So we open. It's a kind of not a perfect circle, but kind of an oblong arena. Big metal walls haphazardly placed around it. Uh, rusted gates that allow access and just stands of people. It almost looks it look, almost looks like a medieval jousting type arena. Huh. And even within these stands, there is a a rise, much like where the king or queen would sit to preside over this. Uh, and sitting up there is a man that you now know after these events to be Ember Shalisper. And he steps forward to the top of the platform and stands above the rest of the crowd, lifts his hands up. The crowd is all looking at him expectantly. You are all down in the center of the arena waiting to hear what's to come. And Ember Shalisper is dressed in a military parade-style uniform. It's torn and faded, clearly a relic from times before, given importance and status, Purely by him just wearing it. It's not that people recognize it as, oh, he's a military man or anything. It's just, it's his clothes, therefore it's important. From what you've seen, he is an imposing figure, above average height, muscular, uh, though he's clearly put on a good bit of weight over the top of it. His belly protrudes a bit from the jacket. doesn't fit quite the way it used to. His most striking quality, though, is his skin, which gives off an orange-red hue and his short black hair that occasionally ignites into a puff of fire. And as he stands there with his hands up, his hair flares, and people immediately quiet. And his voice, which is unexpected from the grandiose that you, uh, you witness, echoes unnaturally across the arena, boosted by an unknown force. And he says, people, we're gathered here today to replenish our ranks here for the guard. And you all are people who've made it the furthest. I congratulate you on that. But now we need to make sure you're the best. And we have one final test for you. In previous days, we've had a lot of competition, separate groups, but now we're going to test to see how well you can work as a team. Those of you who survive this and come out the other side, well, maybe we have a place for you. The rest, well, hopefully you can walk out of here. And he goes back and he sits down, and another man, human, comes up, and he has a little cone that he's yelling through, clearly not able to project in the same manner that Ember did, and projects out over the crowd, and he says, Competitors! Sorry, those aren't supposed to play. I don't know why they're playing. Okay, they, they ended. Uh, Sorry. Competitors! Step forth! 
as we call your name and announce yourself for the games. And uh, he gestures to a human first that's down in the arena with you. Our first competitor, Bart Rogers. This human, kind of nondescript, you know, wouldn't expect him to actually have made it this far, steps forward, and uh, he's got a blade, just dressed in typical garb, but you know from the previous days that he's a skilled fighter. He just lifts his blade up and just goes, yeah! And he steps back. He, um, presenting next, Hack Loman. And Scott, do you want to describe how your character appears and what your character says? Yes. So, Hack Loman is a bit of a mystery. Uh, he's, I'm not going to give you too much background about where he's from, but I will tell you that he is a somber looking, serious looking ranger. He has with him multiple weapons and a bow and a quiver of some arrows. Not in great shape, but they're there. Uh, he's pretty banged up. He wears a blindfold over his eyes, but he can see through them. It's like those mesh glasses uh, or anything where it looks like it, sh- it should blind him, but he can. it's so close to his eyes, like a, like a, like a fence. You get up close to a, a wire fence, you can see through it if you're close enough to it. If you're far enough back, it creates the illusion of opacity. But in his case, he can see everything that's going on, but it's meant to sort of intimidate those around him. Uh, he has uh, uh, he has a voice that sounds a bit like this. Y'all coming with me? Because we're moving up the tree right now, and I'm not waiting for any of you. If you're He's going to talk like that. That's his voice. Got a real southern piece of business going on there. And uh, he's, um, uh, what else? Uh, he's, he's carrying a whole lot of gear, uh, all of which he will set to the side for whatever this fight means. But right now he holds his stuff very close to him. He doesn't like anybody messing with his crap. And uh, he's actually a very affable person and gets along with everybody if they're, they turn out to be friendly and outside of combative situations like this. And so at the moment, he looks very serious, very resolute. His jaw is set and uh, is ready for whatever comes his way. Does he say anything as he steps forward or just quiet and somber? Um, he comes forward and says... He goes, y'all, I'm, I'm Hack Loman, and this is going to be great fun. <laughs> so, so y'all be good. Don't try Nobody try anything cheaty or uh, you'll find yourselves dead. And when you find yourself dead, that's usually because you got one of my knives sticking out the back of your neck. So don't do it. And that's pretty much all I got to say. And he'll bow sort of and then back up. That is Hack Loman. The announcer then gestures to the smallest figure out on the field and says, Romilda glory faded. And Kristen, will you describe your character for us? Romilda will walk forward and she's got this rusty sword 
and what is clearly the hubcap of a big, big truck is a shield, and she'll bang them together and go, ow, 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 you know what we've done here today. Let's keep rocking it. <laughs> she is towering over her halfling brethren who average out at about three feet, but she's four foot tall. Usually they weigh something scrawny like 30 pounds, but she's a hulk in 50 pounds. And she's a paladin. She's middle-aged, 117, ready to kick some butt. She's in it for the glory. She's got these crazy purple eyes and this, like, crazy white hair that seems like it's always blowing in the wind, even when there's no wind. And she keeps just banging her sword against her shield. And, uh, that's great. <laughs> and then he gestures to uh, the the woman standing next to you who... It's almost as if, you know, the, it is getting to be the twilight of the day. Uh, but for some reason, it just seems darker in just her one spot. And the guy says, Kill death, the dark heart. And this lady steps forward and she's dressed all in black. And she steps forward and she's got just belts of knives all around her, belts of daggers, and she just hisses. She just goes, <sighs> and you've seen, you haven't seen much of Kill Death the Dark Heart. Uh, she was in a group different from yours during the initial trials. She's only been somebody you've seen at camp recently, and you've noticed her because she hides in the shadows and just stares at people, and it's kind of put you on edge, but that's about all the interaction you've had with her. He then gestures to the next person in the arena and says, and perhaps our strangest competitor, Al. Kyle, will you describe your character, please? At six foot three, there is a robotic figure, a warforged of sort with lots of holes in between all the various pumps and pistons that are making up his body. He stands with his arms kind of out and sees in an idle pose over where the face would be. On the mouth is an old jury-rigged answering machine. And covering where the nose and eyes would be is an old tablet, like an iPad. And in it is a human face that currently has a straw sticking in one side of the mouth as it pulls up its oxygen mouth or mask and puts it back on and excitedly turns aside big old smile lines, really in clouded, a clouded video. Out to the sides of the iPad are old webcams making up a sort of array of three eyes. <laughs> and he says, Oh, and takes a drink. And the automaton walks forward and hits a salute as though pre-programmed into a pose. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm very excited about this. Uh, let's do good. <laughs> and then, and it returns to its idle pose. Amazing. And our final competitor... And he gestures, and there's this kind of scruffy-looking dwarf that's been standing next to you. And 
you know him a bit more from camp. He's been, he hasn't been in your direct groups, but you've actually gotten to see him fight and be in combat. And he certainly bugged you around camp. Uh, and he says, Strum! And this dwarf comes stepping out and he goes, People, thank you for coming out to see my victory. Thank you. And then he steps back into, into place. And with that, all of the challengers have been introduced. And the announcer leans back. He looks at Ember. Ember gives him a nod. Challengers! As Ember said earlier... This is not a challenge against one another. It is a challenge for survival. You will need to work together. Though, if some of you perish, so be it. We want to see what you can truly do to assure that you will be able to protect the Dunebreaker as we need. We have scoured the waste for a creature to test your prowess, and we have found one. And at that moment, you see people, they open the gate, and it drags across the sand, and they start wheeling in a big box, and it's shaking violently. And you hear just thrashing and screeching. Excuse me. And... Uh, Sounds unlike anything you've ever heard before coming out of this box. And two attendants come over and they pull the latches and you can see the front of this, you know, kind of makeshift. It looks like they just put two giant sheets of metal together and welded it shut uh, or welded locks to it. Um, you see it start to open and all of a sudden you see two hands reach around the corners of the gate and start to just bend the metal back as they're opening the door, clearly not opening it fast enough. And then this head, I guess, sticks through, and it's this long, undulating-type head which sucks inward into a gaping, anus-looking face with green mucus dripping out of it as it tears through the gate and behind it it's got these little hands up in the front that just feed into the mouth and then down into the body is a feathered body which is accompanied by two legs that are just sharp talons and a chicken lord steps out onto the field and does not wait for ceremony it sees you it lets in a horrible slurping sound and charges forward. Let's all roll for initiative. Nice. Is there an audience at this place? Yeah, there's a big crowd on the other side of the uh, arena. Okay, when they heard the chicken lord, they went. They got really excited. <laughs> they love a chicken lord. All right. Uh, I got to remember this isn't Nash. Hold on. 
Oh, jeez. Sad I looked. Okay, here Seven. we go. Uh, five. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Well, you know. Uh, okay, so, Hack, you got a five. Uh-huh. Uh, Ramilda, did you say a seven? Yep. Okay. Al, what did you get? Eleven. <laughs> Eleven. Okay. Uh, Bart Rogers got a three. Jeez. This is low Kill rolling. Death of the Dark Heart got a 15. And Strum got a four. <laughs> the good news is you all rolled pretty bad initiative. Uh, so the Chicken Lord immediately starts running forward and the big dark spot on the field this lady killed death with her dark clothes long hair immediately just dips into the shadows to try and dodge it and, and run around but this arena it's just a big open arena there's not really any hiding places there's rocks and stuff they didn't bother clearing it that much but there's not a lot of places to hide or cover and ultimately, she kind of realizes, well, I'm going to just have to go and engage this thing. So she charges up to it, and she pulls out two daggers in an attempt to strike the thing. And she is going to hit and miss. Um, so she strikes out at it and deals four damage to the chicken lord. Uh, that's going to do it for her turn. Um, she's now standing to the, the side of it. She's run up while it was running and run alongside of it. Uh, next up is going to be Al. Uh, right now you are in a line next to everybody except Kill Death, who has charged forward. Um, you have a chicken lord running at you. What do you do? Cool. If she charged it, then she's in the way in a sense. So I will turn my head independently and start running out on the field about 15 paces to be out to the side of it. So I have a clear shot at the side. Okay. Uh, without the constraints of elbows or uh, arm sockets, his elbows bend completely backwards behind him, grab a rifle and then kind of up around over his head and bring the rifle forward, and he aims at the hip, where the scope would be is another webcam with a wire running back into his body. <laughs> he goes, All right, calculating! And fires. <laughs> I got a nine. That is not gonna do it. I'm seeing if I have bonus actions, which I did not deploy correctly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I end my turn. All right. So he runs out, takes a shot. Chicken Lord, his calculations were a little slow. Shot misses uh, just barely. And then he says, <laughs> uh, all right, that puts us... Now we're in the double digits for initiative. That gives it to Ramilda. 
Okay, Ramilda's going to see this thing and she's going to get excited and start banging her. Uh, I said sword earlier. I meant morning star. A morning star against her shield. They're like, hey, chicken, have I ever told you about the time we had one of you for lunch? And then she'll fire off a guiding bolt. Sounds all right. I got it. A 23. That definitely hits. Go ahead and roll your damage. All right. Looks like 14 damage. And then uh, I'll have to read the flavor, but attack rolls until my next turn, I think, are given advantage against it. Okay. All right. So just the next attack roll made against it. Okay, so next attack roll against the Chicken Lord will have advantage. All right, so did you move at all, or you're just you just get pumped and then fire a guiding bolt at it? Just standing there, banging that stuff together, sparking magic coming out of my head. My hair, it flies out of my hair and hits it. <laughs> okay. All right, so you, you see this little halfling just getting pumped and fires a bolt out of her hair. Uh, it hits the chicken lord. The chicken lord's head, as it were, whirls around and stares in her direction. But it also knows it's got this this lady running alongside it. Uh, it's its turn. And the creature, you hear this gurgling sound from deep within its body. And you see the, because it's the, the head of it is like this long, almost like sausage. And you see it suddenly go, boom and expand and you see it travel along until it gets to the mouth and then it goes and it just shoots this green bile in a line out directly at Lady Killdeath alongside of it. Uh, Let me see what she has to do. She has to roll a deck save. Which she definitely failed on a three. So let's see how much damage that is. It's going to go to one of your character sheets to roll it, because that's easier. All right. And with that 16 points of acid damage, uh, as this creature just spews out over the top of uh, Kill Death, and that, she's, she's hurt pretty bad. This. Um, I think that's going to do it for its turn. I don't think it can do anything else. Nope. Sorry, just trying to get her HP where it needs to be. There we go. All right. So after the Chicken Lord, uh, that means it is Hack's turn. All right. Can you tell me where I am in relation to this creature? My head on with it? Is it off to my right or left? How far away? That uh, sort of it's stuff? essentially it's about it's about twenty feet away. It's it stopped to do that breath attack. Yeah. Um, you're straight in front of it. You're in a line next to um, Ramilda and uh, Strum. And what was his name? Bart Rogers. You're, the three of you are still just standing there in a line where you started. Uh, everybody else has kind of taken up flanking positions on this chicken lord. All right. Um, 
All right, I'm going to run up to it. Uh, As I'm running up to it, I'm going to go, You're going down now, you dirty son of a bitch! And I jump (laughs) in the air as high as I can, and I whip out my uh, two short swords that I have at my side. Schling, schling! And I uh, land on that thing, and I attempt to uh, strike him with the first melee weapon, which I will now roll for. So hold on a second. We Remember, this is with advantage. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Good, good memory. I had already forgot. Okay. Oh, glad that's true because holy shit. I'm trying the new dice roller here. <laughs> really? All right. So uh, a seven. <laughs> wow. That was your advantage roll? Yeah, I had a four and a seven. I'm plus not using. Anything? I'm not using this roller anymore. Oh, plus four. Sorry. So, um, eleven. No, not not a hit. Okay, I didn't think so. No, not a not a hit. All right. Uh, but you have two weapons. So, do you are you able to do the bonus action? Yes. So, yep. well, what I can do is uh, I now roll for hit on the second weapon, right? I believe. Yep. Uh, hold on. We gotta add the four modifier. Twenty-two. That has to be a hit. That definitely hits. Go ahead and roll damage for that. You do get to add your damage modifier because you specialize in two-weapon fighting. So it'll be, if it's your short sword, it'll be the 1d6 plus 2. Plus 2. 1d6 plus 2 incoming. Boink, boink. (laughs) 5. That's fine. 5 damage. It's all right. All right, and you're right in front of it. You got right up in its face. Yeah, I'm I'm toe-to-toe with this thing. Okay. So Hack runs up there, swings at it. It's got a windy little neck, misses, hits it with the the second one. It's a a successful strike. Um, Just digs in a little bit, but still hurts it for sure. Uh, That means next up is going to be Strum. And the dwarf goes out there and he go he he steps forward and he goes Man, I've never been so hungry looking at something that has an ass for a face. And that is his vicious mockery. <laughs> we'll see if it lands. Truly vicious, man. Yeah, it was really good. It doesn't. The Chicken Lord doesn't care. That wasn't good enough. Uh, Chicken Lord cares not for his his insults. Um, And that does nothing. Um, That will do it for Strum's turn. Uh, That means Bart Rogers is the only one left to go. Uh, And Bart Rogers charges forth. And uh, he stands right next to uh, he stands right next to you. Um, I can't remember your name. Hack. That's it. Hack Loman. That's <laughs> Hack right. Loman. Yeah. He stands right next to Hack, and he pulls out his sword, and he takes a swing too. Oh man, he's gonna miss as well. I have rolled so many fours today. It's a shocking amount of fours. Uh, okay. That's it. That's going to bring us back to the top. Lady Killdeath. Uh, she's still pretty hurt, but she's going to just keep right on digging into this creature. 
uh, with her strikes, um, both of which are going to miss. And uh, no such luck there. Al, that brings us back to your turn. All right. I'd... If they all charge forward, I'm going to advance another 15 feet, so I'm around the the arena onto its backside of okay. the Chicken Lord. Yep. And this is definitely with the you know arms still very stiff and boop, 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 as the body moves and runs around. And with a deploying armaments, he re- the hand reaches behind to a toolbox that's attached kind of like a large fanny pack above the butt of the robot and a little hole in the side shoots out a small grenade. And he, again, very, very stiff, enters a pre-programmed pose and rolls it towards the back of the chicken lord. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, This counts as a artificer thunder wave. Okay. So you need to make a 13 constitution save. 13 constitution save. All right. Sorry. I'm just enjoying this so much. I got distracted and I stopped looking at his stats. Uh, unfortunately, that is a save with a 17 rolled. Um, does it do anything on a, on a save? Uh, on a failed save, uh, on a successful save, the creature takes half damage and isn't pushed. So you take three Perfect. points of thunder damage. Right, three points of thunder damage. And so uh, this grenade comes rolling out. It goes to detonate. Something about the sound behind him and this creature's just this... The creature moves very... uh, Just kind of crazily. You know, like a chicken that's scared and spooked. Except it's massive and dangerous. And it kind of flaps its stubby little wings and lifts off the ground just as this grenade goes off. And it cooks it a little bit underneath, but the creature's otherwise unharmed. And it lands right back down where it was. Uh, Is there anything else you can do on your turn, Al? That's it. All right, we are back to Ramilda. All right, Ramilda continues with her story. You see, it was my grandmother Glory Faded's birthday, and we were having a barbecue cookout. And while she's telling the story, she's going to run up uh, to it and take a hit at it with her morning. Okay, go ahead and roll your attack. It's a one. (laughs) A natural one. Uh, all right, so you go ahead and you, uh, you you run forward, and you're now forming a line. I'm guessing you're still in line with all the others that have charged head head on into into fighting this. And uh, you swing that morning star, and again, you're you're all fighting in the front with the head that writhes around, and it just swings out, and it goes right into the ground, and you just hear a thunk as it gets stuck in the earth. And you are uh, considered for this next round, you will have to uh, pick up the weapon as an action. Not as an action, but you will have to pick up the weapon as part of uh, what you do. Um, So, is there anything else you're able to do on your turn? Any bonus actions or anything like that? Uh, Going to save her reaction, though. Um, And she's going to use that next time the creature attacks anybody that isn't her. And she's going to go, no matter what happens to my weapon, did I tell you about the time that my aunt almost choked on one of your chicken bones? 
And what does that what does that do? It's just a reaction so that when the creature uh, that I can see attacks a target that's not me within five feet, I can impose disadvantage on that attack roll. Oh, okay, perfect. Uh, okay, so I rolled to see if uh, the breath attack that the creature has comes back. It does not. Uh, so the creature is going to lash out and bite against the um, the now being cooked by acid target of uh, Lady Killdeath here. And so this is going to be with disadvantage uh, because of Kristen's attack um, or reaction. Unfortunately, even with that, with an 18 on the disadvantage roll, is going to be a hit. Uh, so that is 1d10 plus 3. All right, so Lady Killdeath, who's been stabbing at this thing, um, she's coated in acid and cooking, and you can just see the Chicken Lord's hands rubbing together um, as it kind of sucks in the fumes from the, the dissolving flesh on her. And you see the hole of the mouth open up, and inside you just see teeth deep inside the gullet of this creature. And it opens and wraps around, and you just see the teeth jut in, and blood just begins to ooze out along with the acid. And when it retracts, because she's fighting against it, uh, Kill Death the Dark Heart falls to the ground, unconscious. Several perforations all around her body. Um, that will do it for the Chicken Lord's turn. Hack, it is your turn. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to rely on a feature of mine, which is called Colossus Slayer. Once per turn, okay. when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, the creature takes an extra 1d8 damage if it's below its maximum HP, which it is right now. Mm -hmm. um, although not by much, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Actually, it wouldn't that have applied on your last turn as well? Yes, uh, I screwed up. So I didn't okay. want to assume that I could add another 8 to it or whatever. I'll let you go ahead and do it. Go ahead and roll okay. for that for All your right. last turn, and then we'll see if you hit this turn and see if it applies. All right, here we go. Se ooh, 7 on, that, on the first roll. Okay. And then I'll do my next attack and then add it to that again. There, I'll okay. you know, do a new roll. All right, so... Since I'm right there. Oh, should I try that or not? I would like to try something. I would like to try to try speak something. with the creature. Because I have speak with animals. Okay. And I want to give it a shot. Go for it. So I'm going to cast it. How's this work? Hold on. Okay, here I mean, goes. You just you just cast it, right? Yeah, I'm just casting it. I'm trying to see if I okay. You gain the ability to comprehend and verbally communicate with beasts uh, for the duration. This lasts for ten minutes. Um, the knowledge and awareness of many beasts is limited by their intelligence, but at a minimum, beasts can give you information about nearby locations and monsters, including whatever they may perceive or have perceived within the last day. Uh, you might be able to persuade a beast to perform a small favor for you at the GM's discretion. Um, uh, are you, so I guess I need to know, are you going to allow this beast to be invaded by my speaking to it? 
Or is it too stupid? Just a moment. Um, it's not too stupid. It is a stupid creature, but it's... The problem is, uh, as the magic takes hold and you begin to speak, you see sporadic twitches where whatever it is you're projecting, whatever it is you're saying, um, which, what do you say to it? Because you attempt to, to speak to it. What are you going to say? I'm saying to it, listen, just calm down. Lay down in the dirt and give up. There's no way you win this fight. If you give up now, they might let you leave. You might be able to get the hell out of here and not be part of this death. But if you keep going like this, you're going to die. Yes. So as you say that, it twitches and it's like there's an aspect of it that is tied to an animal. Uh, And it certainly makes sense that you would think that it looks like a chicken. But whatever this entity is, it is beyond our realm. It is unearthly. And it does not seem to acknowledge that it hurt you. Okay. I kind of thought that might happen, but I thought it was worth a shot. All right. I guess that counts as my action. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to... <laughs> this is me experimenting a little. Um, I'm going to move like the wind. And I'm going to... Oh, I can't do that because that's also an action. Hold on. Oh, it's a bonus action. Can I do this? Yeah, I have a bonus action called Zephyr Strike, John. Where a bonus I, action called Zephyr Strike. Yep, I move like the wind until the spell ends. Your movement does not provoke opportunity attacks, which is really what I'm trying to avoid here. Uh, I'm trying to get it ranged. So I'm going to, let's see, once before the spell ends, you can give yourself advantage on one weapon attack. Roll on your next turn. The attack deals an extra 1d8 force damage on hit. Whether it's a hit or a miss, you walk, your walking speed increases by 30 feet until the end of that turn. All right, so my main goal here is to just get the H out of dodge and get within uh, range so I can start doing some bow shit. So that's what I'm going to do. B-O-W shit, okay, not B-E-A. Just looking at this. Once before the spell ends... Um... You can give yourself advantage on one weapon attack... On your turn, that attack deals 1d8 force damage on a hit. Whether you hit or miss, your walking speed increases by 30. So you're going you're gonna to get away from it. Yep. Uh, that definitely happens. How long does Zephyr Strike... Goes for up to one Concentration minute. up to a minute. Up okay, minute, so your yep. next attack, one weapon attack roll within the next minute is going to deal an extra 1d8 force damage. Yep. Okay, so just keep track of that. Make right. sure you mark off the spell, and you do that. Okay. Are you backing up, or are you trying to flank it? What are you doing? I'm going to try to flank it a little bit, get from, get from a side position. Okay. So that uh, I'm not sure where Al is in relation to where that is, but it would be great if he, if he's in the rear and I'm in the I'm sort of on the side. I think that would be a good place for me to be, so that's what I would do. if I. So uh, if you consider that you guys are standing to the south of it, um, currently, the body of uh, Killdeath would be on the east side. Al would be on the west side, or actually now is behind it more, but he, he moved along the west side to behind it. And so you want to go over on the west side of the chicken. Correct. Okay. That sounds good. West side chicken. It's a fantastic play. <laughs> uh, all right. That's hack. Uh, Strum is going to 
move in to try and fill in the gap and make his own attack, um, which is going to be a hit. And he is going to deal seven points of damage. So he pulls out a thin, fine blade and just sticks the uh, chicken lord with it. Seven. All right, that's it for Strum. Uh, Bart Rogers uh, is going to race over and stand protectively over Kill Death. Um, he seems very shook. He, no! And he stands over the top of her. He, curse you, demon! And he swings. And he misses. No such luck for Bart Rogers. Uh, all right. Kill Death is down. That brings us back to Al. It is your turn. In the back. The arms will immediately swing the gun up and around and reattach at the back, and he goes, Oh no! Madam Darkness! Uh, applying medical aid! And out pops from his side hips, he pulls up these two paddles and runs in a big, a perfect mathematical C around to the east side and comes to a stop and bends down and electrify paddles Madam or Lady Darkness, whatever her name was, with <laughs> Spare the Dying. Okay. Um, and you you look as those paddles hit, um, and the magic begins to go over the top of her body. You see the wounds where the teeth had perforated, and the sections where skin had been dissolved, and blood was oozing from the wounds. All of a sudden, it closes up. She doesn't breathe or come to, or well, she's breathing, but she doesn't, you know, she doesn't sit up or anything. But she is now laying on the ground, stabilized. Uh, anything else on your turn? That'll be it. I am crouching down behind the guy who is protecting her. So hopefully he's in between me and the chicken lord, and I'm administering aid behind him. Okay, so chicken lord, him, her, you. Yep. Okay. Good to know. Uh, all right, that makes it Ramilda's turn. Looks like a body swap has happened. There you go. <laughs> yep, it's a quick swap. Yep. All right, so Ramilda's just going to keep... Well, no, actually, uh, with the Morningstar in the dirt, she's going to go, and then my grandmother's party! And she'll wrench the Morningstar from the ground. Was that an action or? No, that's interaction with one object. So any other object you want to interact with would use your action, but you're still free to attack, right? Okay, cool. So as she wrenches it from the ground, she's going to swing it wide and see if she can knock its leg. Okay, go ahead and roll your attack. A 17. That hits. Go ahead and roll damage. Nice. Nine damage. Okay, perfect. That is a hearty hit. So, uh, Ramilda, who's been really kind of wrecking this chicken lord, stands up. Boom! Pegs her, uh, with the, uh, with the morning star, and you just get a crack in the leg. 
and the chicken lord lets out this gurgling scream and uh starts to flail around more but you can tell it's it's hobbled a little bit like you you've definitely done some significant damage to the to that leg um the chicken lord now is going to once again see if it gets its breath back and it does and seeing a nice line of tasty morsels in front of it it is going to once again you see the neck undulate and and it spews acid out in front of it uh i need a dexterity save from al um and then i am going to need it from i think it's an automatic fail for kill death the dark heart and bart rogers so uh can i use my reaction again for uh the attack on a target other than me uh i don't think it'll work because it's technically not an attack it's a saving throw fair enough fair enough i got a 13. okay you save uh kill death does not and bart does or bart <laughs> keep messing up his name um <laughs> so let's see what the damage is there what is the breath okay all right so once again acid in a straight line just shoots out hits all three of you uh for those who failed their saves, it is 22 damage. Uh, for you, Al, it would be 11 acid damage. I don't know if you have any resistance to that. I do not. Okay. Um, so, Kill Death immediately goes back unconscious. I think now is a good time to... <laughs> probably should... It's not actually a good time, but now is a good time to point it out. I have a house rule that I really like about death, and I'm going to apply it here. And uh, this is this is my own little house rule uh, to avoid constant rezzing and keep the threat of death alive. Um, if you go down again after you've already been unconscious in one encounter, that is now considered you are down with a death save. If you are saved and brought back up and you go down, you are now down with two uh, failed death saves and so on until eventually it would be obviously if you get brought back and downed again a third time that would be a death that you cannot be saved from you are considered dead at that point so uh kill death goes down with a failed death save at this point uh with one failure um bart is still alive barely he's in bad bad shape and that will do it for the chicken lord. Uh, Hack, it is your turn. All right. Well, that was fast. I feel like, oh, I guess we had a death, or not a death, but a down, so we didn't have a turn there. Um, all right. From this distance, um, <clears throat> let's see. I'm still, still trying to understand how Zephyr's going to affect this, so. I get an extra one d8 damage at least once during the turn or during the f- that time, the one minute. So, uh, from this distance, I'm going to uh, lock an arrow and fire it with my longbow. Uh, to hit, you will be dealing with the following: 18. That hits. All right. Uh, let's see here. 
damage 1d8 plus 2 plus another 1d8. So we'll go basically 2d8 plus 2. All right, here you go. Total of 12 damage. Okay, and then is that was that including your Colossus thing or That's including the Ze- Oh, the Colossus thing. Sorry, forgot about that. This I'm not used to this feature. Okay, so hold on a second. Let me Glad you said that. Um, let me just read up on that one more time. Once per turn, when you get hit with a creature, the creature takes an extra 1d8. So on 1d8 on top of that. Mm-hmm. So let me roll that. No bonus there. Okay. Six. So another six. Ooh, okay. So that was 12 and six. So what, what is it? Eight, 18. All right, so you see Hack, he goes around back, and he pulls back a bow, fires an arrow, and the chicken lord is celebrating. It's got all this delicious acid-soaked meal in front of it, Uh, very hungry. It rears its head back, and an arrow just protrudes through the neck, and you hear it making a horrible choking, gasping sound, acid dripping from the maw. Uh, It is seriously injured. Uh, That brings us up to Strum. Uh, Strum sees that uh, the people in front of him are in trouble and he goes Metal Man you've got this you're a metal man (laughs) and gives you a d6 of inspiration to use as you see fit oh gosh it's either Bill or Ted I don't know which one (laughs) that's amazing I just didn't want to do a stereotypical dwarf voice so I went very different yeah. Uh, all right, Bart Rogers, barely alive. Bart, we call him. Uh, he's gonna <laughs> take a swing. Uh, he is actually gonna hit it. Good for him. Uh, let's see here. He's gonna do nothing. He does four damage to it. Oof. Oof. Uh, at this stage, it it's good damage. He sinks his blade in pretty good, but it's uh, Chicken Lord is still standing. Uh, Lady Killdeath has to do a saving throw. She's going to succeed. That puts her at one failure, one success. And uh, that brings us to Al. I was the metal man for the inspiration, right? Yes, you were the metal man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's try this again. And he pulls up the gun, you know, arms bring around the gun again. Points it straight at the monster's butt, or I guess at its face now, since it just breathed on us, and I fire my hunting rifle. All right, go ahead and roll your attack. Uh, Remember, you have a d6 inspiration if you need it. All right, I will definitely be using it for a 19. That hits. I deal 13 points of piercing damage. 13 points of piercing damage. All right, so as this thing is choking and gasping, its maw opens, uh, you see Al pull out the rifle, fire right down the hole. More acid splashes out of the mouth. This thing is hobbling. It's just got blood and acid pouring out of it in all the ways, but it is still standing. Ramilda, you are up. So anyway, we broke its legs off and we ate those too. 
And then she'll swing the mace wide again, going for the other leg. All right. Roll your uh, attack. Nice. Uh, 21. That hits. Perfect. Seven damage. Okay. Seven damage. Uh, you hit the other leg, and you hear another crunch, and the creature thump, flops down. It's now laying on its stomach. It's thrashing. Its wings are moving wildly. The head's just slapping around. Um, still not dead. It's darn close. Uh, and the chicken lord's turn. It is going to lash out at Bart. And it's going to hit him with a critical hit. Ouch. Bart Rogers is, I don't think he's going to survive this, but we'll see how, we'll see what happens. This could be Stranger the end of Bart, Bart Rogers forever. <laughs> it's, uh, well, Bart, it's not forever, but mm. Bart Rogers goes down. Uh, he falls unconscious. This thing's thrashing. It just manages to get a, a hit and a bite on his shoulder um, and tears a chunk out. And you just see Bart fall to the ground. Um, he's down as well. Uh, Hack, it is your turn. The Chicken Lord is uh, actually considered prone at this point, which I note simply because if you're going to do a ranged attack, let me make sure that that's true. If you're going to do a ranged attack, it's with disadvantage, but if you are uh, melee, um, you will have advantage. Advantage, right? Okay. Yeah. So, just a <clears throat> heads up. I feel pretty good about running up there now. And I also spent the most, the sort of min-max I could on range for now, so I'm going to run up there. And I think I still have well, it won't matter because there's no opportunity attacks anyway, but I think I'm still under that effect. Anyway, uh, I'm going to run up there, get up right on it, and we're going to dual strike this mother effer. All right, go and your attack. Here comes the hit. 14 for the first. Nope, that's a miss. All right, second, 22. That hits. All right, what's with these second hits only hitting? Jeez Louises. All right, so... Make sure I got my math right. Should be 1d6 plus 2. Yep. Oh my gosh. 3. <laughs> I, I think I hate the D&D Beyond roller. I think I hate it. Okay. But you have the Colossus thing. So add that as well. All right. So that's another 1d8, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Ooh, an eight. A natural eight. So, uh, 11. All right. Hack Loman. Tell me how you're going to kill this chicken lord writhing on the ground in front of you. Y'all should listen to me earlier when I said there was a way to save your life, you dumb shit, chicken shit, freaking anus for a neck, piece of shit. And then I stab it just as hard as I can. All right, Hack Loman stabs it. He pins the writhing head to the ground. It shakes, the body trembles, and falls still. And the crowd immediately just erupts, and you just hear chants, and you can hear people going, Loman, Loman. You know, got the killing blow. They're, uh, they're quite excited. They're quite worked up. 
the announcer uh, steps forward. Um, right now, I will say, does anybody intend to try and save the people on the ground? Yes. I have okay. Spare the Dying as a at will. Okay, so you're going to spare the dying on the two writhing around um, Kill Death and Bart Rogers. Unless they're actively melting, or you know. No, they're okay. they're uh, they're not melting. They're burned pretty bad, but they're not actively melting. So are you, for that matter. You're, you've got a little acid damage. Yeah. You're okay. Um, and so you uh, you go up, heal them. They don't even seem to be paying much attention. The announcer goes, "It is done. These are your champions." And the crowd just continues to to yell and, and scream and chant for all of you. And uh, Ember stands up from his box, having having seen you. Um, kind of looks back at his wife. His wife next to him. She's a she's a gorgeous human. Like basically the the definition of a trophy wife. Essentially, like she does. She outclasses Ember in just about every way. There she is. Um, he steps forward, stands once again, his voice naturally echoing even over the crowd. And he goes, well, that sure was fun. Uh, great. You all did super. Um, <laughs> he's, and he, he looks down and he says, now, I notice that some of you uh, definitely perform better than the others. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and offer the job uh, to our, the real victors. Al, Hack Loman, Ramilda Glory Faded, Strum, you're all welcome to come and join my guard. I don't think we need the other two. And you see the same people who rolled in the pen that held the chicken lord come in and very unceremoniously they just grab the unconscious forms um, of Bart and kill death and just start dragging them out. They're not intentionally harming them, but they're just, they don't seem interested. And the crowd's just going crazy. They, they aren't really invested in the lives of these people either. And... Uh, he uh, he holds up a hand, crowd dies down again. He says, now, we've had a lot of fun these past couple of days. We're going to have to go through a lot to get these people on board. For tonight, enjoy your victory. Enjoy the merriment. Enjoy your last night out here in the unforgiving waste. Your whole life is about to change. Again, congratulations. And... He steps back, his wife stands up, and two half-orc guards that seem, you've always seen them accompanying them, uh, turn around and they make their way out of, the, out of the box and disappear. And you all are left in the arena before finally uh, a Goliath comes stepping in um, and he's not like most Goliaths that you've seen. He's got the trademark gray skin. He's very large. He's about seven feet tall. 
Um, but he's not overly muscular. He's strong, above average for most people, but for a Goliath, not so much. He's got spectacles on, big, thick spectacles. Um, and he comes over to you, and he says, The three of you, please, come here. Congratulations, come here. Gestures for you to come closer. And he says, My name is Gens. I'm the glassblower on the Dunebreaker. I'm its chief engineer, if you will. I wanted to be the first to just tell you it's going to be an honor to have you joining our little family there. And if you need anything, just let me know. And he extends a hand. See if anybody's going to come forth and shake it. Ramilla will throw her morning star into the ground and come over and slap grab it and do like a, a handshake, but also like bro bump kind of a thing. He just kind of, oh, oh, yes. Uh, I, I did see you competing, uh, Ramilda, and uh, you, you're quite spirited for sure. Uh, and you, and he gestures towards Al, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody. We've never had anybody quite like whatever this is. It's it's fascinating. Um, I don't want to be rude, but would you mind if I examined it at some point? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, hang on. I know I have. I know I have one of these somewhere. Ah, uh, handshaking algorithm. Uh, here we are. And it advances very stiffly, puts out a hand, and a hand wheel. The other hand wheels up around and clasps the top, and it's a very emotional handshake. And as oh. he, as he shakes the hand, you you see him just looking. He's not. He's going through the motions, but he is paying a hundred percent attention to how this thing works and trying to figure out the inner workings of it. Um, but gives you a nod. Uh, Strum comes forward next. He goes, hey, man, oh, this is great. Um, so you're like the chief engineer. And I just want to know when we're going to get food. <laughs> and uh, he he shakes he shakes his head. And he, oh, um, well, the food, uh, it's, there's plenty. It's not anything you're going to have to fight over. I mean, the advantage uh, to joining our little family is, of course, that all will be provided for. You won't have to want for much of anything in exchange for your services. So, um, yes, we've supplied food uh, out there and about. You can certainly go feed yourself. <laughs> and he looks, he goes, excellent, and goes walking away. <laughs> I hate this guy so much. I hate him. Uh... Uh, and... Then he looks to you expectantly, Hack. Hmm. I'll walk over and go, listen here, it's good to meet you, sir. And I'll slap him on the arm and go, did you see the size of that chicken with the whole anus face and all that shit? It was amazing, but glad to be with you. And you are the kindest and colossus man I ever done talk to. So thanks for uh, having us. And I'll... Oh, well, thank you. We, uh, you know, we're... 
Sometimes there's a stereotype about us, and it's not, uh, it's not 100% accurate. Uh, I, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I would like to show you to, where to your tents where you'll be staying this evening. This will be your last evening here in the little village we've set up. Uh, tomorrow we'll leave to where we have settled the Doombreaker, and we can start in on your new lives. And he motions for you to follow and starts walking out. Strum is already at the gate. Uh, he got a head start. I'll follow along then. All right. Everybody's going to follow along with uh, Gens. He uh, leads you outside of the arena walls and out into the uh, kind of makeshift city. So you all are from various places. Uh, this little makeshift arena and event uh, was set up kind of somewhere between map-wise what would be uh, Slave Town and the Teat. Um, and it's almost like a Burning Man type situation. Like people have come from all over the waste um, to meet here and they've kind of set up their own little homes where they're going to live for the you know couple of days that this event goes on before they pack it all up and go. And as a result, this sort of makeshift city has sprung up all around you of ramshackle homes and tents and things like that. And there's fires burning in some places and um, people are just running around celebrating. Um, the event so far has all been catered by the crew of the Dunebreaker. And so there's definitely this contrast between you know, you see humans in the gray robes that you recognize from the teat as being, you know, the poor, um, improvised citizens there, and uh, all the way up to people finely dressed and, you know, people dressed like, you know, bandits and marauders. It's just all types all of a sudden blending in here. Uh, but there are people from the Dunebreaker uh, serving food and bringing water out to people. And all of a sudden, this thing that has been hard to find your entire life is in absolute abundance before you. There's more food than you can possibly eat. There's more water than you can possibly drink. Um, and so as a result, the camp is filled with a very jovial type atmosphere, which is not common in this world. And Gens leads you through this, uh, leads you to a fairly large tent that's kind of divided to where there's elements of privacy, but it's all under one big kind of tarp, and uh, it's very makeshift. There's multiple different types of material that make up this tent, but it's still all been stitched together and erected for you. And he says, you're free to move around and do you know whatever you need, but uh, we will be here in the morning to pick you up and, and take you. Um, if there are no further questions for me, I will leave you to it. Go with glory. Um, yes, thank, thank I think, you. I, I think we're all good, man. <laughs> thank you for your hospitality. And for, <laughs> for real, this has been real nice of, of you. And I'll turn my gaze somewhere else. All right. And so with that, Gens uh, steps away and leaves. And you are left standing in this tent it's mostly private definitely was intended to house more people and 
Um, you've been in this tent before. It was uh, somewhat ceremonial that he walked you there, but you've been here. It's what housed uh, all the other competitors during this. So the amount of people in there has slowly dwindled as people are no longer a part of this contest. And you find yourselves now um, just the four of you alone until you hear a voice from the back corner. Someone steps forward and goes, well, I just want to say congratulations to all of you. Um, but I was wondering if maybe I could make a proposition for you. And we're going to take the break before we find out what that proposition is. Oh, man. Proposition John. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, more. So don't go too far, everybody. We'll be right back. So will you take a few minutes to go refresh yourselves. And we'll see you in just a moment. We are back for phase two, Del Boca Vista. John, take it away. All right. When we left for the break, uh, we have champions. Hack Loman, uh, the big machine, Al, um, Ramilda, Glory Faded. I had to look at the last name on that. <laughs> um, and a dwarf named Strum uh, have all been selected from many candidates to become guards aboard a giant sand vessel called the Dunebreaker. Uh, they have left the arena after their victory and been escorted back to where they will spend the night before they head out to start their new lives aboard the ship. Um, and they thought they were alone, but from the shadows they heard a voice making them an offer. And you see as she steps from the shadows... Um, this very unassuming human woman. Um, she's got platinum white hair. Um, she's not dressed. She's not dressed poorly like the um, like the citizens of the Teat, um, but she's dressed humbly. Um, definitely not trying to give anything away with her of her status with her appearance. It's very simple gray kind of dress, but. Uh, definitely an attempt to look nice and presentable at the same time. And she steps forward and says, well, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, let me introduce myself first. My name is Fleece, and you're in a very unique position. The Dunebreaker doesn't get new employees very often. And, well, I was wondering if you might be able to do a favor for an interested party. Oh, I know this one. Uh, yes, uh, this is classic adventuring. See, when you get a quest... And his head's turning back and forth between his companions very quickly. Sometimes, at a rival party will give a secondary quest to betray the first person. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> she looks a bit uncomfortable, but then says, no, nothing, nothing betrayal. It's just, well, 
the Dunebreaker is sort of an anomaly. It's this giant floating palace, as they would have you believe it. It's this place that offers people everything they might need. And I'm curious, and my employer is curious, where does it come from? Where do they get all this food? Where do they get all this water? That sounds like a boring quest. Why waste our time? Now, hold well, on, I, big big lady. We got to hear this through. I got a feeling. There's no glory in information. Yeah, but hold on now. Who gives us the most gold? That's how I decide what I do. So sit down and let this very nice lady. What was your name again, ma'am? Felice. F- Felice? Close All right, you let this lady Fleas tell us what the hell's up, and then we make a decision based on what Fleas has to say. Go ahead, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, it's good to know that at least one of you is going to be civil and listen to an offer. And Strum speaks up and he goes, what about me? I'm fine. I- hey, I have no problem telling people what they want to know. You just ask. I'll let you know. And Fleece says, my apologies. Two people. My employer is curious where the food, where the water, and why they don't ever seem to have to deal with marauders. What's the cause of that? Out there in the waste, I'm sure you're aware, there are plenty of problems. Bandits, slavers... Simply those gone mad. Yet for some reason, the Dunebreaker, with a minimal guard, no escort, remains unattacked, free to run from settlement to settlement. None of you are curious about this. Well, it depends on what I get out of it. Are you telling me that... Uh... This this Dunebreaker, you call it? First of all, it's the first time I ever done heard of it. Now that I know all about it, or I know enough about it, maybe they're just doing what's good for their little community here. Who's the, who are we to say that uh, you know running goods from one town to another is such a bad thing? Right, but we're talking about a ship with a near seemingly endless supply of food and water that people desperate for it never seem to attack. I think this raises concerns, and my employer would be happy to pay for the information. No sabotage, no going against any sort of deal you might make, simply information. Well, Al, you big Al, you like information. Sounds like you're kind of, kind of quest. I'm reading everything right now. Yeah, seems like they just need some data. You'd be real good at getting out their data. Sides. Uh, if we, we uh, you say it pays, but yeah, and said how much? Well, uh, depends entirely on what we can do with the information. I would be willing to promise at the very least a hundred gold for the effort and some actionable information. And if there's even more, well, then the payment would be substantial. But we're going to have to know what we're talking about first. Uh, how dangerous of a of a of a mission are we talking about? Is this Dune Slayer thing just covered in guards and I've got all kind of 
you know, who knows and whatnot, just aiming at us, ready to pick us off like fleas. Sorry. Hack, we are the guards. Oh, yeah, but you know what I mean. If we're going to, if we got to get information, it's not like they're just going to hand it over. What kind of resistance? We will fight our way through. Well, that's just... We are the guards. <laughs> Why would I not fight for something? This makes no sense. <laughs> um, the Al is correct. You would be the guards. I'm not asking you to do anything that would necessarily put your life in danger. I'm asking you to obtain information that might be freely given to you based on your status. The only difference between you and anybody else would be a willingness to meet and disclose that information. I'll just admit to you now, ma'am, I get wary of things that sound a little too simple on paper. They tend to go south the minute we get in there. But for 150, I might overlook your oversimplification of the planning ahead for this mission you need. Go go ahead and make a persuasion roll. All right. (laughs) I was hoping you'd let me do that. All right. Um, gotta look and see what I got for persuasion. Oh, great, nothing. So that was a good call, Scott. Good call. <laughs> that would be a twelve. She seems to mull it over and says, "Let's start with a promise of one hundred, but know that if the information you bring me is good, it could be considerably more. Even one hundred and fifty would seem trivial." compared to the amounts you could achieve. Now, if you are still skeptical, let me simply say, go about your job. It doesn't pay well. But we will. And when you get to the teat, we can set up a meeting and an appointment. And you can tell me what you've learned. Oh, all right, one second. And furious typing follows, and then the robot body kind of clenches its abs down, and you start hearing, (laughs) and printing out the back using magical tinkering comes a piece of paper rolling from the toolbox, and he rips it off, and I can make up to 25 words appear, text, I have a piece of paper in my inventory, I've made a contract, and it says 100 gold for information, plus 50 gold per pertinent information gathered. And there's a line for signature. Oh. Well. I will go ahead and sign it. I'm not sure what sort of rules my employer might have about such things, but I have their word, and their word grants me enough to, at the very least, sign this. And she goes ahead and signs the paper and hands it back. Excellent. A quest received. And he rolls it up with his hands and slides it back into the toolbox. The rest of you, do you need anything so formal or is my word good enough? I'll take you at your word, but listen to me and hear me good. If this goes south, I'm coming back here and uh, you won't like the tip of this here sword. And I tap it on the side of my on the side of my belt. I'm a square shooter, and I'll do everything I commit to do. Y'all better not be jacking, jacking us around, because I've done less for worse. 
It makes no Make sense. An intimidation. <laughs> I've done less for worse. Uh, that's so dumb. <laughs> All right. A 19. <laughs> okay. Uh, she... She seems confused by your words, based on what they are, but uh, that confusion slowly uh, shifts into uh, somewhat concern, and uh, she says, Okay, Mr. Loman, well, there will be no need to return here. I won't be here. I'm going to set out by my own means and head to the Teat. On the outskirts of town, there is a market... On the day that the Dunebreaker rolls into town, simply make your way to that market, find me, and let me know what you've learned. You will receive payment at that time. All right, sounds good. We need a place to probably rest up some. I need to reboot my uh, mechanical friend over here, or whatever the hell he does. And then me and our lady friend probably ought to get some shut eye, maybe some food. Anything good around yeah. here? Is this a is this a bad place for that? Or don't let me stop you. Um, this is the room for it. And she starts backing away towards the exit. <laughs> it has been a pleasure doing business with all of you. Good day. And she steps through the backside of the tent and disappears. And you are left now alone in the room, just the four of you. Okay. Uh, so what do y'all think? You want to get, you want to rest up and then, then we head out and, and, and do, do the deed. What time is it right now? Uh, um, it's dusk. The, the, it was kind of getting late in the day when you had your battle. Now, um, sun is just starting to go down. It's maybe a little too early to turn in for the night necessarily, but you have been through a lot. Um, you're free to, talk with each other or explore the camp uh seek out food drink whatever you might want uh hack loman has a we question celebrate. we should celebrate hack loman has a question we for celebrate. we're victors <laughs> we're victors all right this is what i'm gonna ask i'm, uh, I'm gonna ask al a question um uh, al i got a question before we uh, before we go celebrate uh yes, hack. where uh where y'all get them where you get paper because paper hasn't, we haven't seen paper in a long time. Paper's kind of rare. Manufacture it. Oh, you make your own. Wait a minute, that requires wood. You put. What do you do? You eat wood. You shove wood in some hole somewhere, and out comes the paper. Or how are you doing that? Digest scrap, <laughs> and overnight I make new paper if that's what I desire. So wait a minute. If I have this straight, you you consume the scrap. What through your mouth or where where are you where are you putting that? Where's that scrap go? Oh, it's muted. It was muted through that. The unit. Oh, still kind of muted. Kind of works though, weirdly for the character. No, it's, it's malfunctioning. Yeah, it's like bit. I'm getting little hits and pieces. Of Am that. I malfunctioning? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little of... bit. We only heard like two words of that. 
Oh, uh, let me see. Discord showing red for me at the moment. So, oh, here, let me change uh, zones. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> the Wi-Fi that connects to L uh, is is disconnected. Yeah, that could be it. Okay, try that again. Uh, hello, hello. Hi. Are we functional? I think so. Try the voice thing. Are we functional? Yeah. Yes. You're good now. Very. Uh, through the rear unit, uh, digesting scrap overnight, I can produce any items I require for the day's adventuring. Well, it's a hell of a trick, but here's my whole point in all this, and I'm going to say this quietly. Okay, just to him, and I don't want I don't want uh, Queen Bee over there to hear this. She's so, gone. Oh, okay. She's not. She. Oh, or were you talking about Ramilda? No, no, no. Talking about yeah, Ramilda. I'm talking about I'm talking about our our third companion. I'm just kind of like trying to keep my words a little away from her a little bit, just a tiny bit. I know we're in the same room, so it's going to be kind of hard not to hide okay. this. But I'm going to say, sure. Listen, before we go celebrate, here's something we ought to think about. Uh, this 150 potential gold is a big deal, but this ain't nothing compared to the money we could make just by selling your ass paper. You just got to keep shitting that stuff out every 24 hours, and we will make bank. There'll be uh, not enough room for us to carry the gold we'll get for this. So I don't know how interested in uh, in raw money you are as a machine man, but uh, yeah, I'm just saying paper is a rare commodity in these here wastes, and I would be happy to represent you to sell as much of your ass paper as you can produce. Well, uh, should we approach the teat and set up shop? That could be a rather... Uh, lucrative enterprise for us I, uh, deal this is a good deal we should do this uh whether whether we not bring broom hilda in on this deal or not we'll have to talk about that later all right let's get let's uh let's go out and sell let's say hey let's celebrate where where you want to go where y'all what, where we find all of the bars they sing our names tonight and then she'll go to kick open the tent but because it's a flap it'll kind of wrap around her and she'll fight it She'll hit at it and go, yes, finally free. Let's go. <laughs> I'm with her, guys. That's where we're going to have to go. And Strum stands up and starts following. Oh, yeah. Out. Forgot he was in here. All right, Al, you want to, you drink? Do you want to just hang out? Or what do you want? Y'all want to, you can come with? Uh, I might have something uh, festivus on this end. <laughs> And you can see his eyes looking all around as the oxygen mask and his eyes move from side to side, revealing a bald head and the strap going around the back. <laughs> we have to draw this guy, aren't I? Gonna have to. All right. Uh, well, let's just, why don't you just come along? We, we may need the backup uh, just in case. Never know. She seems like she might be a mean drunk and then we'll, I'll, I'll head that direction. <laughs> For what reason? I don't know. Uh, it's fine. I don't know. Uh, all right, so you're all you're all out traveling uh, this sort of sprung up city, uh, looking for good times and merriment and celebration. And you are certainly celebrated uh, as you step out. Uh, you are recognized by people. They're coming up, congratulating you. Um, you're certainly met with occasional envious looks of people who are, you know, uh, not necessarily pleased uh, or maybe just a little envious and jealous and have a hard time being happy for other people. So uh, it, people, uh, I'm still remembering her name. She'll kind of like 
throw her chest forward at them with her arms <laughs> wide. Like, what? What? And they definitely, uh, as they, as you, uh, as you do that, they, they have seen the feats of Ramilda over the past couple days. They don't want trouble, but they're still jealous about it. Um, you make your way through the streets again. You're, you're drawing a lot of attention as you go through. Um, you've got people, uh, coming up to you and saying, Hey, excuse me, what? I'll give you anything. I'll give you anything. Just let me sneak me aboard when you go. Just find some way to get me aboard. I'll give you what do you what do you want? What do you need? Now hold on no, now. No. We don't just no. let people come into the damn thing without having an idea. Who's asking? Who the hell are you? What? My name's Larry. I got four kids and a wife. And I just if you could just help us sneak all of them on the Dunebreaker, that would be that'd be well, hold on now. You said you. Now you're saying there's five human bodies you want us to sneak on that thing. Well, and my wife's mother. Holy shit. Well, by all means. No, hold on a second. We're not doing shit until we find out what's going on. We need to be, uh, you know, uh, we gotta, I got to talk to my companions here, and I don't know if we're even allowed to do this. How many people can fit on a dune breaker? I don't know. Now look at Al. And Al, you got computer computer talk. You tell me how many people can fit on that thing. Oh, we can't hear him. Oh, he's muted again. <laughs> the Dunebreaker is known to house at least 200 uh, during its most uh, excitable parties, but are you able to pay, sir? Oh, that's a good question. Um. Well, what what do you, what do you want? What do you need? Gold. We we take it in whatever form you got. I don't need paper no more. I got me a brand new freaking source of paper. Uh, how much gold you got on you? Uh, none. Well, see, now that's going to be a problem. We can barter. We can barter. Do you barter? Yeah, yeah. If you can get me, yeah, if you can, if you can get me on, uh, yeah, what do you, what, what do you need? I, I can get you stuff. Have a engine matrix, perhaps? N- no. <laughs> yeah. Have I ever told you about the time I dismissed some petty lowlife who was inglorious from our group because he wouldn't take the hint? <laughs> also, no. She's serious. Then uh, she'll take the palm of her, her tiny little hand and put it on his forehead and just gently shove him away. Ow. And he, you shove him away, and he starts to get the hint, and he kind of shuffles away from from the group. You see a large, more than the people he had even told told you about. Uh, you see uh, probably six to seven kids. Um, you see a older woman. You see another lady who was in about the same state as him. Um, you see uh, two teenagers. Uh, and you see a elderly person and you just watch him go up and he's just shaking his head no as he approaches them and you see the whole group of people go ah and by that time you have uh, moved on all right i will say now that my friends is what we call where i come from a dodged bullet that guy was lying he had a whole crowd of people that would have been real bad no quest that was a local flavor 
And uh, so as you as you make your way through the tents, you do eventually come across one. It's not so much a tent as it is just a, a crudely assembled shack. And they've kind of constructed a, a small makeshift bar out of it, um, out of, you know, scrap metal and pieces and things shambled together. Um, and there is a man who, you know, this table looks like it could probably have about five or six people stand around it, but the man behind the counter seems to fill the entire space himself. He's a very large man and he's standing there and he's got, uh, he's got a lot of scruff on his face and he's got a mustache that just hangs way down past the rest of the scruff. Uh, and he has an eye patch and you see him and he just, if you're looking for drinks, this seems to be a place. There's perhaps others, uh, but this is the first one you come up, come upon. I'll walk up to the bar and I'll say, my good man, what you find here before you are three very thirsty individuals. Do not let the computer man fool you. He has an appetite as well. We would like your finest, and we would like it now, please. Uh, wait a minute. If... The computer man counts. What about me, man? Oh, shit. I keep forgetting about you, boy. All right. So there's another. Uh, are you? You know, I won the contest, too. I helped. How old are you, boy? How, what are you? How old are you? I'm 57, man. What is that? Is that like a young? What's the age of legal drinking in your race? Um, whenever. <laughs> All right, fine. Belly on up here. Uh, could you serve us all up, uh, sir? What do you what, what do you recommend here at your fine establishment? Well, let me go ahead and take a look and see what we've got here. Uh, we've got drinks. You can have a drink. Well, Are you what, interested or not? What tell, pray tell is in those drinks? What flavor will uh, will my tongue partake in this evening? It will get you drunk. Well, that is as good as we're going to get. Everybody cool with it? Formaldehyde, how do you feel about this? Y'all good with drinking this here? Drink. You see a little halfling fist <laughs> stick up over the counter. Oh, there's another one down there. Okay. Uh, okay, so we got, what, four? Four total. Four drinks. Yeah. Four drinks. Yeah, look at the math on this feller. Get a state. You, uh, can we just take a seat? You need to seat us. How's this working here? Uh. There's, we'll call them stools, uh, set up in front of it. Right. They are very poorly assembled. They're made out of found materials and their functionality is questionable, but they serve as stools. I'll grab a stool and uh, stick it up in front of me here and sit down on it and, and tell them for your best, my good man. Okay. He uh, sets down a mug for each one of you. Again, once again, this is very shoddily assembled. These are not cups. These are not steins. These are not mugs. These are materials that were found that could hold liquid. And so in front of one, there's a bowl. In front of another, there's what looks to be uh, just like almost like a looks like a dustpan almost, except it's made of metal and it will hold liquid. And he sets that down. Uh, the other is a box 
that has been welded along the sides. And when he pours the liquid into it, you see liquid immediately running down through small cracks in the side of it. Um, and then the other one is a uh, perfect porcelain mug uh, that says for Papa on it. Uh, all right. I assume this is all clean. Let's do it. And I'll. You would assume incorrectly. <laughs> Down the hatch. All right. I'll take the, um, I'll take the box, the little welded box. <laughs> okay. That sounds all right. I'll drink out of a corner of it. Uh, all right. I'll turn around to Al and go, Al, how do you, how do you take yours? You take it up that there, uh, uh trash chute that you make the paper out of, or can you drink in the front like the rest of us normal people? Uh, Al pulls out a canteen from his toolbox and pours the drink into there and pulls out a small thermometer and puts it in the top. (laughs) Oh, I've never seen that before. So, uh, I've been working the bar mostly. Uh, Who are you for? Who are we for? You mean like some kind of sports question? No, I mean, there's four of you. Who are you oh, for? <laughs> you were wondering who we were for. That's pretty funny. Uh, my name is Hack Loman. You may know me from this knife I got here that will hack you in half if you got in my way, and I'll just kind of unsheath a little bit and then stick it back. Not intending to intimidate, just part of my introduction. Schlink, schlink. Uh, and these are uh, my friends. I'll let them do their own introductions. We're the heroes. Heroes. We're the winners. We uh, came here of all oh. places in this a dirty, filthy encampment to celebrate. You're the you're the you're the four that that won. Yes. Yes, we are the four that won. Oh, you're gonna be. Uh, you're gonna, they're gonna put you on that uh, fancy ship, right? The, what is a dune breaker? Can you tell us anything about the dune breaker? You have any experience with that thing? I mean, only what I've heard. Uh, dune breakers, a uh, convoy, it's a big ship, goes from city to city, brings people what they need. It's like a floating city almost. It's a big, big old bastard. Do you ever benefit directly from any of the items that they? store and travel with in that giant behemoth do they come here and and refill your stocks my good man well not mine personally i'm from i'm from a place up north but uh we're a little too small track the attention of the dune breaker but we trade like anybody uh you know dune breaker is the reason we get most of what we need they got seemingly endless supply of water and food Well, yeah, we get to we get to find out firsthand how that thing is when we get in there. Pretty excited about it because uh, it pays well and why it'll it'll help. Well, I guess we'll pay for what we pay for here tonight, unless you do things on layaway. Can I drink now and pay later? Or I got to pay now. Everything we're serving is covered by the host, oh. Amber Shalisper. Made sure everything was free. Have we heard this name before? Yeah, he was the guy up in the box uh, with right. the fire hair who presided over the whole thing. 
That's why I wrote that name down and then forgot. Um, what more can you tell us about that man? Why is he in charge? Uh, well, Ember, uh, way they tell it, he's the first person who put the caravan together, uh, found some ancient mechanical thing, managed to get it working, managed to start traveling, trading. Uh, they say he's got a golden tongue, and that is why he is able to travel from city to city, selling his wares, and uh, he's the reason it's possible. All right, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, friend. Why is it that man glows red? That is a that is an aspect of a human being I have not ever seen in my time on this planet. All, all kinds in this world. It's been a bad sunburn. <laughs> I'll tell you, my aunt, she, oh, she was red as a lobster one day. <laughs> During this whole conversation, Al has become very rigid, and the secondary camera on the left side of his head, the little red light is on, and he's swiveling back and forth between each person talking. (laughs) (laughs) Like little servos. I like that a lot. Well, the the thing about it is is that uh, I'm not exactly sure what kind of being he is, but he's certainly unique. Um. I don't know. Never seen a man whose hair lights on fire before. I can tell you that. He's the first one. Because you've never seen your uncle drunk at a barbecue before. (laughs) Ma'am, I don't know what that means. And I don't know my uncle. Don't don't worry about formaldehyde. She's just, we just met and we're not sure. We're not sure what she's saying, but here's the thing. He seemed like an app, an amicable man with a, a fair shake and a, and a good, um, I don't know, get a bit of respect from those around him. I just want to know if uh, there's something else hiding there and we should be wary of it. Is he a good man? Does he rule with uh, fairness? Do you feel like you're, you know, safe in this town? Well, hard to say. We don't see a lot of Ember, on, except on the rare occasions that they have an event like this, which doesn't happen very often. There's enough people on the uh, Dune Breaker that uh, they can usually hire internally if they have a position needs filling. They don't usually have to go out and scout people. So this doesn't happen very often, and he's pretty much just on the ship. Don't hear much from him. But he brings trade to people that don't have the ability to get stuff otherwise, so he seems okay to me. Quick DM question. How far away is Ember right now in, in physicality? Like, do we know where he is? Like, You don't know where he is. Uh, presumably in the camp somewhere. Um, because the uh, the Dunebreaker is not right at the camp. Um, so he would not have returned to it, um, would be the assumption. So he's probably somewhere in the camp if you wanted to go find him for some reason. All right, the but, reason... Uh, you don't know exactly where he is. All right, the reason I ask is because... I would like to use my primeval awareness. Okay. Uh, it's going to burn a slot, so I need to remember to do that. But anyway, um, uh, there it is. One minute per level spell. Okay. I can sense whether any aberrations, celestials, dragons, elementals, fey, fiends, or undead are present within one mile of me or within up to six miles if you are uh, on favored terrain. This feature does not uh, reveal cre- where the creatures are located, but I'll just know it. 
So what I'm trying to do is see if there's any, I want to use this ability to see if there's any kind of really abnormal sense from it. And then if I can, okay. if I can Ken, whether it's him or not, that's, that'll be interesting to old hack Loman. Give me a moment. Let me see what it says about this race to see if that would ping. What's your favorite terrain, by the way? Uh, that is a great question. Favored terrain comes from what feature? That's right here. I have favored enemy. Um, uh, I can't find favored terrain. Where would that be? see favorite enemy oh it looks like there's a thing called underdark oh so it looks like that's your your favorite terrain is underdark okay and that's not what this is right no all right but uh so you, you activate it and um there's nothing that's immediately alerting you um under that i you start to get a slight twinge but there's something registering as an elemental, but it's faint. And you can't tell if it's just you thinking that like a man who has fire that shoots out of his head must have some elemental connection or if it's actually registering off of him. Um, but there's definitely an elemental element uh, to his being, though he wouldn't register as such. Okay. Um, as for table talk purposes, they are considered humanoid. They are not considered elementals. So, but he does have fire that comes out of his head. So, okay, you know, right. That's a part of it. For all that's worth. Okay. Um. Then I will. Uh, I will turn my attention to this to my drink and drink it. And as you're as you're kind of scouting around, all of a sudden you hear this. Excuse me. Ah, excuse me. Coming through. Pardon me. And you see this small figure, uh, a gnome, carrying a giant bowl of brown, meaty gruel of some kind. And uh, he just, pardon me, excuse me, coming through. And he's making his way behind you. Um, behind me in particular? Yeah, behind all of you all of while us? you're at the bar. Um, something we can do is it? Can I tell if I would if I was to call it ma'am or sir? Would I know the difference by looking at this creature? Uh, yeah, he's a little man. Okay, uh, I'd say, well, pardon me, sir. Uh, we don't we don't mean no harm. Are you trying to get through? Trying to sit up here? What's your What are you looking to do here? Um. Oh, uh, it's you. The four that the, the yeah that did the thing. Okay. Um. Hey, I, I I've got more, I've got more of the meat. And you see the the guy who's behind the bar lean down. Oh, okay, dipshit. Uh, come around here. We'll load it back up, and uh, you see the little gnome carry it around, and he he hands it over. The guy takes an empty pan, uh, and sets it back down, and he goes, it. Uh, we probably use another one whenever you get back through. And the gnome nods. Okay, thank you. I'll be I'll be back. Uh, all right. Excuse me. Pardon me. And uh, the guy at the bar looks at you and says, uh, 
Well, we got stew if you want stew now. Hold on a second. I got a question. Is that young man's boy? Is his name really dipshit? It's what everybody calls him. Well, that's a terrible name. It's a terrible, terrible name. Poor little man. I'm not fond of the little ones, but dipshit's a terrible name. I mean, he, uh, well, he works for Ember. He's one of Ember's guys. Uh, I'm sure he has a nice enough life. I don't know where he got the name dipshit, but my experience hasn't earned anything better. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She knows if you got the name dipshit, you did something to earn it. He hasn't done anything to unearn it. Well, he did bring this stew. Now I'm not eating this stew until I get some confirmation that it isn't terrible. So who wants to give this a shot? Cause I am hungry. Yes. Fill the bowls. All right, and uh, he places down uh, four more receptacles. Uh, Again, not exactly bowls or cups, just various odds and ends, it seems, that will contain food. Uh, One is a half-broken plate. Um, The other is... uh, Actually, it would have been a better cup, but he seems to have found it and decided to put stew in it. Um, The other is a hubcap. (laughs) And uh, the final one is a uh, piece of a tent flat. Wow. And he just plops stew on top of it. And it's viscous enough to not fall off the edge or soak through or whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, well, the liquidy bits immediately run to the sides, but there's still meaty bits in the middle. And he sees you eyeing it and says... Look, I'm sorry. Uh, there's been a... We don't travel with a lot of stuff, and a lot of people are asking for food and drink. Seems like that dune breaker ought to make a trip over here occasionally. We'll see if we can't do something about that. Ladies first. Formaldehyde, you take the one you want. I shall eat more stew than everyone here. Keep the food coming until I say stop. All right, that's great. Now I'm gonna lean for I'm gonna lean forward and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take that there uh, the tent flap one. I'm eat that. That's all. Okay. Hork that. How down. are you going to eat the tent flap stew? Well, I'm gonna put it in like a little taco shape. Uh huh. And I'm gonna kind of just pour it out of there and just eat some, and then pour a little more out. Just kind of pour it out in a little funnel down 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 the old hack Loman gullet. I'll look to Al. Al, you got any? You got any space in that hunk of junk body of yours for some stew? Al will lean over the stew and then in a perfect straight line, slowly lower his face towards it and jut sideways very suddenly so the camera lines up with the stew. (laughs) This is real meat. (laughs) It does appear to be that. However... The source of the meat is unattainable, as best as I can tell. So do not think too much about it. Just ram it down and be done. I will sit up very stiff, very quickly. I'm. Plus, this unit does not require protein. Uh, would someone like my stew? Formaldehyde, more stew for you. I'll move it over to yeah, her. Yeah, I think Ramilda said. She was going to eat more stew than anybody, so I guess maybe she'd be into it. That's true. If you're up to the challenge, you may have my stew. And you, uh, bro-man dude, <laughs> you may have my drink. 
It has not been refrigerated for some time and might be dangerous for internal organs. Great. I'm all about it. He uh, reaches over, grabs, uh, I don't remember which container you had. I think you had the bowl. Uh, grabs the bowl and just downs it immediately. You know, upon further inspection, I don't think this is very good alcohol. Well, look at the brain on you, because I said that when we came in here. None of this is good, but it's what we got, so enjoy it, or we're not, and fill up or not. Uh, I got one rule, and that is if I'm sleeping next to you, no pukers. I can't can no pukers at night. Y'all go out of the tent or the buildings or wherever we're at, and you barf in the in the trees or in the dirt. If I find you barf near me, and I slide my sword up just a little bit, He's coming out again, and then Schlink put it back. But it will be a cold day in hell before alcohol this week makes me yak all over the floor. Okay. Oh, well, you're yeah. you're a tough fella, so I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad we can uh, we can have a good time. So let's just celebrate the fact that we are the f- they call us the four that did the thing. We need a better we need a better title as a crew. Y'all got to Hey, uh, b- 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 Al, can you calculate up a list of names? What should we be? We need to have a cool name before we get on that dune breaker. The uh, Victorious Quartet. That is a dainty, stupid name, but I'll take it. The Victorious uh, Quartet it is. To the Victorious the, Quartet. And I'll hold my drink up. And To the Victorious Quartet. <laughs> to victory. <laughs> She's got the meat madness. <laughs> I'm on plate number two. They'll remember her name. They'll remember Ramilda. All right. So you uh, you polish off the meat. You polish off the drink. Um, is there anything else you want to do? It is now starting to get into evening. Uh, you are noticing torches and fires lighting up giving a decent illumination to the place. Um, you know, it's it's up to you. You can turn in whenever you want, or you can continue to visit, look for other people. Um, I will uh, I will get up from my, my stool, and I will say, uh, Sirs, Madam, I am going to bed. For Hack Loman does not do well when he does not have his beauty sleep. I wish you nothing but the best this evening. Be ready in the morning for what we got to do. And then I'll walk out. And I'm going to go find a bed. I guess we have quarters that are ours. Like, did she, that room's ours to stay in, I guess? Yeah, the tent where you met uh, Fleece was a, uh, was your tent, your tent, your, uh, your quarters where you can stay. I'll head that direction whether they follow me or not. Okay. So Hack makes his way back. Uh, Romilda, Al, what are you going to get up to? Ramilda keeps eating until she can't eat anymore, and then she'll stumble around drunkly proclaiming how many bowls of meat stew she ate and daring anybody to come forth to say that they eat more. Okay, go ahead and roll a performance check and a constitution save. Okay, performance check is a 17. Okay. (laughs) 
And the Constitution is a one. <laughs> wait a minute, how's it a one? You got a plus two to Constitution. Oh yeah, don't you have? A... Oh, you rolled a one, so you got a three I total. A one. Oh, okay. So, uh, Ramilda, after uh, downing a considerable amount of uh, this beef stew, um, she she manages to put away uh, well over half the giant pot that the gnome brought. Uh, she begins to wander the campsite. Um, let's hear your declarations of victory over the stew. Let it be known that Ramilda finished nine balls of stew. Tell the tale. Tell the story. Don't forget this night. From the flap of the tent, I go, I'm not sleeping next to formaldehyde tonight. That's a lot of stew, and she's going to be letting you know all night. And then, I, then I'm out. So the performance is great, and people gather around and form a circle, and you're getting applause because, man, not only can she fight this formidable halfling, but she can put away stew, and that's impressive in and of itself. And once you have gathered the maximum attention and they have all come forward, you have uh, one man who is a, a thin, gaunt man. Uh, definitely seems like he does not eat well on a typical day. And he comes forth and he goes, I was quite famous in my You've put away so much stew. How, how does your frame hold so much? And as you go to answer, you vomit all over this man <laughs> projectile vomit and just cover him from head to toe <laughs> and as I finish uh, she'll wipe her mouth and then she'll stoically stand and go now tell the tale of how Romilda barfed more than anybody here one one more performance check. A 16. The people go from grossed out to No, they agree. That's a lot of vomit. An impressive amount of vomit, and they all begin to scatter to go and tell their friends about the halfling champion who ate a lot of stew and then vomited on a man. And uh the camp begins to fill with that tale. And Al, with that, Ramilda goes to bed. Al, who has been following this event, stands up, presses the, the webcam on the side of his head where the red light turns off, and says, Well, no one's paying for that video. <laughs> and goes to bed. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm guessing eventually Romilda makes, makes her way back uh, her legacy secured. Um, <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, Strum uh, kind of stuck around. He kind of disappeared for a while. He turned up somewhere between Hack and uh, Al, and he uh, he kind of takes his place quietly, lays in bed. And uh, Al, what do you do for sleep? Uh, well, behind the, the screens a bit, game talk anyway, the unit itself has to rest for four hours, but I sleep the whole eight hours. Okay, because, cause, yeah. All right, I gotcha. 
Um, so uh, everybody finds their own little corner in the uh, in the overall tent to lay down and rest, and shuts down, <laughs> goes to sleep for the night, and uh, is undisturbed throughout the evening. Um, occasionally, you would hear a sound, people partying late into the night. Um, but for the most part, you're left alone until the sun comes up. And around the time uh, a first light, uh, you wake up and you find four figures standing or coming into uh, the tent. And you see the figure of Ember Shalisper, uh, his wife, um, and the two half-orc bodyguards that always seem to be flanking him. And uh, he comes in. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, hey, everybody. You uh, don't mean to intrude. I know it's early, first light and all, but we're very excited to have you. Um, just really glad that you're going to be able to join our family on the Dune Breaker. Uh, just wanted to say a quick hello. We've got a van uh, pulled out there, and that's going to take you on over whenever you're ready. So no rush. You just let the driver know when you're all set. We're looking forward to seeing you. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, I'd like to... Uh, mm, can you tell me if we get... It, can we feel any heat coming off of him? No, no heat. Okay. He uh, he seems to uh, he definitely seems inhuman to some degree. Okay. But right now, in the quieter moments when he's not putting on a show, the traits that make him seem inhuman seem to die down. His hair right now is not there's no fire coming out of it. His skin, though reddish, is more has reached a more of a normal. Uh, skin tone instead of an unnatural one where you go mm, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem right so whatever it was that was more prevalent when he was speaking has died down just a bit when he's having this personal conversation with you okay all right y'all get up this is it we gotta get in a van did y'all hear that and I'll, I'll look at, uh, I forget her name. Gosh, dang it. Ramilda. I look at Ramilda. Are you, uh, Ramilda, you had a rough night, but it's time. We got, we got to get. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just grab, grab my shield. Ramilda sleeps longer than anybody. All right. And then she'll gradually get her stuff together. And I'll go, uh, ow. And I'll bang him on the side of his head. Ow, get up. It's time. We got to go. Boot up, whatever you do. And the image kind of shifts in and does the little roll. And the, the face lowers down, wearing the oxygen mask. Good morning. Uh, let's go. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll put on my pack, grab my stuff, and we will head to the location of the van. All right, and you, uh, as you gather all your gear and step outside of the tent, uh, you see that they did mean directly outside there is this just worn down, beaten up, dirty van uh, that actually has holes rusted into the side 
of the paneling, but it's running and is more or less intact. Um, the uh, everything looks like it's been replaced on the van at some point, and anything that wasn't replaced is on the edge of falling apart. Um, but they seem confident that it's going to run for you. Um, you look around and Ember has already kind of vanished. You're not exactly sure. As you were gathering things, he and his entourage stepped out. You don't see any sight of him. Uh, but there is a driver and he's just kind of leaning casually uh, against the door. Um, not paying you too much attention, but clearly annoyed that you haven't already boarded. All right. Well, let's load up. All right. Is the van running? Yeah, it's running. Okay. I have a van sound. Uh, so you all get in, climb aboard. Uh, when they op- when you open the back, you actually see that uh, the Goliath you met yesterday is sort of crammed in the back. Um, Gens. And he says, Ah, hello. Good, good morning again. Uh, pleased to see you up and about. Um, we're going to be headed to the Dunebreaker, and I thought I thought I'd give you a little introduction as we made our way. Well, you're a sight for sore eyes, my friend, and I'll hop in and sit near sit near him. Okay. Uh, everybody gets aboard, and as you're climbing aboard, um, you notice that uh, Tent City has already started to come down. There's, you know, vehicles you can see lined up, Um, You can see people walking, which is somewhat surprising because this was in the middle of nowhere. And there's definite questions as to where would they be walking to? Um, But they're trying to gather up their supplies, and already it looks like a lot of this is coming down. Uh, Other elements are still left up, um, left to wonder whether or not this is going to remain any sort of settlement, uh, or if people are just going to last out here as long as they can and you climb aboard the van um it does have windows on the side so you can see as it pulls away and starts to drive north from the tent site um really struggling on the dirt and sands but slowly making its way well uh, you all are in for a a real treat, I think. Um, have I, have any of you ever seen the Doombreaker before? Never in my life. Well, it's uh, it's truly a marvel, and you know, as the glass blower for the for the vessel, I mean, I'm certainly biased, but uh, it's it's really quite impressive. Um, and he begins to tell you all the specifics of how it works. Um, I think maybe, Al, there's a chance you might understand the technical talk. Um, is anybody here specifically decent with tech and engineering and machinery besides Al? Definitely not me. No way. Okay, so... Uh, you all understand almost none of what he says. Al, you on the other hand, you are familiar with technology. Uh, What you begin to understand about it is that it is essentially uh, 
It is a vessel that is capable of going across the sands. It moves on these superheated scoops that line the underneath of the vessel that actually uh, burn and melt and liquefy uh, the ground underneath it as it passes and skims across the ground. Um, and you gain the knowledge that the reason he is called the glass blower and the reason that that is a title is that uh, as the dune breaker makes its way specifically across sand, it leaves a path of glass behind it. And um, frequently referred to by other people uh, as the path of glass when they see it. Um, and that's a result of the great heat that builds up underneath it. Um, you understand that it is three main cars along with a back end tail and a front uh, compartment which pilots it and steers it. Um, you understand that its scale is extremely large. And uh, he begins to explain the inner workings of the machine and how they get it to run and, and how it all works. And you have a pretty decent understanding just from this short little drive uh, of those basics for the thing. The rest of you, you understood that it leaves behind a path of glass and that it's probably hot. <laughs> That's very cool, by the way. <laughs> very so, cool. Turn sand into glass is just a badass idea. So as, uh, as the car drives, eventually you do get to where you can see it for the first time. And it takes up a large space on the horizon. And what you see is a ship that basically looks like a giant mechanical centipede. It's made up of cars, almost like a train. It's connected by those accordion-like tunnels that they use for airports where it can kind of pivot and move, but covers, uh, it completely encloses the segments. Um, each car is roughly four stories tall with an upper deck on the top level. Uh, the entire body is three main segments, uh, as well as a head, which is a little stubbier, and a tail, which actually goes down and drags onto the ground to some degree. And based on what you can already see as you approach it, it looks like that that's where they would load vehicles and things like that. It's something that people can actually drive directly up and onto um, back on the tail section. Uh, the, uh, the whole thing lies almost very flat on the ground. Um, you don't see any legs or appendages. You know, I described it as a scorpion, but there's nothing that sticks out. Everything that causes mobility is actually built underneath the vessel. Uh, all in all, it comes out to be about 400 feet long uh, because each segment is about 100 feet on their own, and then you get a little additional space with the tail. Um, in addition, as you see the deck, you can see that on uh, segment one and segment three, there are two giant lookout, uh, lookout towers built on the top deck. There's structures on each of the decks, uh, but those two in specific have towers that go up. And uh, on the very front head segment, there's a giant satellite dish sticking up. And I think that's about it from what you see. Um, you can see uh, the, the heat wave billowing underneath it is immense. You know, in the wasteland, there's always that sort of heat shimmer illusion that happens when you look out. But underneath this, it's just almost constant. And uh, the van 
you know, drives in a way that you can tell the the driver was instructed to show off a little bit because he drives he drives near the front and then starts to drive alongside it. So you get this kind of panoramic view as you go past before you drive up to the tail and you see a metal flap unload and hit the sand and you see sand kicking up behind it and the van drives directly up and up a series of ramps onto the top deck uh, where it stops and you are now able to unload while you're on the tail section. Is this thing... So I take it it's going about as fast as the van can go? Like it's not a, it's not like hyperspeed compared to cars. It's it's just sort of moving. Slowly. It's not currently moving at all. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, it's it's sitting still. Uh, it's definitely still giving off heat, and you could you could sense even as it was getting close to it, there was even residual heat from that. But it's not actually engaged or moving at the moment. Okay. And uh, as you. As you go by, um, Gens is basically pointing out everything. He's like, okay, well, this is... Uh, so he's starting at the head. He says, this is the head of the vehicle. It's operations, piloting. Uh, there's meeting spaces, communications, all sorts of that. Uh, segment one, and he points to the first segment after the head. That's the passenger uh, living spaces, its amenities, Basically, anybody who's living there or getting a ride is going to be in segment one. Segment two is trading, services, labs, uh, workspace. The vault is stored there. And then knowing because, Al, you had such good engagement with him and were able to speak his language, uh, he says, in fact, it's extremely impressive. When we settle... That whole side compartment can actually unfold and create its own little bazaar where we can set up a market and do direct trading directly from the side of the vehicle. It's it's really an impressive achievement. It's uh, There's many moving pieces and it's all automated, automatic. Um, you get to segment three. He says, this, this is the heart. Engineering, the prime engineering station is here. Uh, power, temperature control, uh, Temperature-controlled labs, uh, rooms, anything that's going to require a good deal of energy and power is all all taken care of there. And then, of course, the tail, which is for loading, unloading, storage, and hauling. And he's giving you this full breakdown as you go. And then as you pull onto the deck, um, what you see, and is further cemented by him, is that this deck on the top, it's sort of like an aircraft carrier, except... Obviously, there are weird breaks where the segments have to pivot back and forth for turning and twisting and stuff like that. And what you can tell is that if it aligns perfectly and shrinks, the deck can be a solid piece that can be driven across or run across. But then if it pulls apart, you would have to wait for it to close again for that connection on the upper deck to connect. You see along the sides, there seem to be some form of battlements, some mounted guns in places, some large cranes so things can come down and pull and lift things up. Um, and as you come to a complete stop on the tail section, um, you can see that it has stopped in a way to where the accordion connectors 
have now settled and it is a complete straight runway across the entire 500 foot length of this ship. Or I think so. I said 400. Yes, 400 foot length of the ship. Sorry. Really impressive. Thank you for the tour. Oh, it's it's no problem. I'm happy to be able to speak to someone who understands what this what this is. He kind of gives a dirty look to the other three, and not overtly, but just you know, he's engaged with the person who seems to understand it. And uh, it's it's such a pleasure to be able to speak with someone who who can appreciate something like this. Um, you know, feel free. I'm in engineering all the time. If you want to come by and just you know, hang out and, and, you know, we can talk shop, whatever, whatever you want. I'm, I'm always there. Just ask to speak to the glass blower and they'll get you, get you over to me. I'm going to raise my hand and go, I got, I have a question about this here, uh, machine we're in. My, may I ask that question? Oh yes, sure. Go ahead. All please. right. Uh, it leaves glass everywhere it goes. That much is clear turns the sand into glass. I get that. I understand how that works. Here's my question, though. Do you always take the same path? Are you just driving over the same glass every time? Or are you making new glass because you change the path all the time? Like, uh, is it just one big track of glass now that you've got, you know, enough time doing the loop? Or is it all new sand every time? Well, we try to, you know, we cover a large area, and the wastes do seem to shift from time to time. Uh, but we try to make sure that we run roughly the same route um, as as much so as we can. Sometimes we may need to avoid a particular settlement, an area that's dangerous, a storm. Uh, and the ship is more than capable of doing that. And the glass that you leave behind, is it, you know, what does it do? People try to salvage it and use it for anything or y'all just don't care? They certainly could if they wanted to, but uh, that's up to them. Hmm. Well, that is all the questions I had. This is an impressive piece of machinery. Well, I'm glad you like it. It is uh, your new home, so it's good that it's up to your standards. Um, we are going to go ahead and move you all to uh, the first segment. Uh, we're going to have a meeting, I believe, with Ember has asked to speak with all of you. Uh, sort of an initiation uh, or orientation, as it were. Um, but this is where I'm going to get off. So it was a pleasure meeting each one of you. Again, my name is Gens. If you need anything, I will be in engineering. And uh, with that, he kind of gives a nod, steps away. Uh, he gets out of the vehicle. The driver then proceeds to drive over to the first segment um, before coming to a stop and basically saying, all right, this is it. Everybody out. All right. I'll, I'll pile out of there. All right. Everybody I'm gets, out. gets out. You, you all get out of the, the vehicle and you see, uh, you see the two bodyguards that are typically around Ember um, standing there. Uh, They're standing at uh, one of the structures at the base of the tower, and they sort of give you a nod to come on over. And as you approach them, you see that the, the little structure opens up, 
and there's a hallway to the left that leads up presumably to the tower there's a set of spiral stairs going up and then there's a stairwell going down to the lower levels of the actual segment that you're in down from the deck and they begin to lead you down into the first segment and then once you hit the first level it almost looks like it almost looks like a train car um but with cross sections where you can go to other train cars like almost as if they were stacked next to each other and you had access to each one of them you just see rows of doors uh to various rooms there's numbers on them and they kind of lead you away from that and into one of these connecting tunnels that connects from the first segment into the head and you move into that section of the vehicle and they take you down another flight of stairs and go kind of through these hallways. It's starting to get to be a bit of a labyrinth. You're very, you know, it's very new territory for all of you. And so you've kind of got this, you've never been in anything like this. And they open the door and inside you see Ember, you see his wife, and you see a very large being he's dressed in kind of a uh, formal military attire much like what ember wore um and, but he has the body of a lion essentially he's a large muscular lion-like creature uh standing next to him and he's standing very tall very rigid almost at attention and they're just sort of standing around uh, a large table and Ember goes, oh, this is great. Uh, hey, welcome. We're uh, so happy to have you um, here. What do you think of the ship now that you've actually had a chance to see it? Hell of an operation you got here. It really is. Uh, wasn't easy to put together, uh, Hank, but uh, we're quite proud. Well, I want to start by uh, saying this is your unofficial orientation um, to joining the Dune Breaker, and um, here's how it works. I'm in charge. I run things around here. These uh, fine fellows, and he gestures to the guards, he gestures to the first one, and he says, this is Argyle. And he points to the other one and he says, this is Gasper. They are my bodyguard. They are not the only ones. Um, I have my own personal guard on this ship. They work for me. Their job is to make sure that I'm safe. You are part of the Doombreaker Guard. Uh, your job is to make sure that I'm safe and that the ship overall is safe see how that hierarchy works uh we all make sure that everything's taken care of this here and he gestures to the large lion man and he says uh this is the guard captain lotho and uh the, this lion looks down at all of you it's good to meet you. You're going to be working for me. 
You are my new guard. A job that I expect each and every one of you to take very seriously. Is that understood? You're the biggest cat I've ever seen. Yeah, I understand. Pay no mind to her. She's a tough cookie and will serve you well. But it is our honor to serve you and to take your gold in return. <laughs> We're not going to be paying you any gold. This is not a paying job. If you want a paying job, go out and try and find it in the wastes. This job is to guard this vessel, and your payment in return is a place aboard this vessel. It's our food, it's our water, it's shelter, it's protection. You all have a future here that you didn't have out there. You are going to enjoy it. Will there be a lot of fighting? There will be some, no doubt. Damn it. Make no mistake, this is a prestigious honor to be here. Many people want to be standing exactly where you are right now. Those people, they don't know if they're going to have a drink tomorrow. They don't know how they're going to eat. Some of them eat each other. It's filthy and disgusting out there, and it is no longer your lives. You need to understand you're lucky to be here. Now, you don't become guards of the Doombreaker by being mindless automatons. And he looks at Al. <laughs> yeah. I understand that there is going to be a bit of personality in the people we bring aboard. I don't mind excessive personalities. And now he looks down at Ramilda. But I do expect you to do what I say. I will not harbor disobedience. I will put up with snide comments. But you are expected to do your duty. Well, I and like I like a job where I know I know my limits right coming in, so I appreciate the, the, the orientation. And Ember steps forward and he says, Now we don't need to don't need to maybe go so big right away. They're they're new here. They're they're just starting. You know, we're we're family now. Family's important to me. So being that you're part of the family, I think it's time that we bring you into a bit of a circle of trust. First thing you're gonna need to know is that uh, we have rules here. We trust each other. Like I said, family. But you're going to have to earn it. We can't let just anybody come aboard this ship and know everything about it. It's not safe. It's not secure. So, for your initial time here, you're going to be assigned to the first segment car. And I'm going to ask that unless you are specifically assigned to do otherwise, you limit your activities to segment one and segment two exclusively. Now, you've all performed really well together getting here. We're going to keep you together for a little bit before we decide where your best placement is actually going to be. So, Lotho here has uh, agreed to let you all serve your initial orientation time together, work together. 
I think that's going to be swell. I think that's going to really work out well for all of us. But uh, we'll find assignments for you. We'll find something to do. First thing I got to tell you, though, is that there's a lot of questions out there about how we operate. And the key to our operation is maps. That's what we peddle here. Maps. You want to know the secret of our success? It's maps. Under no circumstances are any of you allowed to take, talk about, or distribute any of the maps you might find while on your duties. Is that understood? Uh, I mean, are these maps just laying around? Because that seems like a big mistake is to just leave them around. We're pretty self-contained here. I don't anticipate you're going to run into too many, but it could happen. Your guards, you're going to be able to go places that most people can't. So if we done, if we done found a map, who do we, we just call somebody and say, excuse me, Mr. Lotho, I believe I found a map in section one and he'll come, he'll come you take care just- of it. Leave it alone. Just leave it be. All right. The items, the people, and the knowledge contained on this ship is the property of the ship. I don't think I need to explain it any more than that. Don't go selling things that aren't yours. It's that simple. Don't take anything from me, and we won't take anything from you. In fact, we're going to provide quite a lot. We're very excited to see it. We think you're all going to do very, very well. And while he's talking, the door behind him opens and in walks a very nervous looking human who does not want to interrupt, but is kind of doing the clearly dancing around in his while he's waiting to be called on. Yes, Horace. What is it? Well, sir, we got a problem. And the problem is that there's murder down in engineering. One of the engineers is dead. And Lotho immediately takes control of the situation. What do you mean there's a murder? Uh, we found one of the engineers down down there dead, sir. Don't don't know what happened. We think somebody slipped on while we were sitting. Well, this looks like a perfect opportunity for our new guard to test themselves. The bottom floor of each segment is dedicated to engineering. There's a vast array of mechanicals that have to operate at the bottom floor of each segment to keep this thing working. Where was the person found? Uh, Segment two, sir. I want the four of you to go down to engineering and make your way to segment two and find out who did this. Then report back to us. Let this be your first test. Make sure you've truly earned your place here. Quick table talk. How many segments are there? 
there are three plus a head segment and a tail segment. Okay. So like five. So total total of five, but the head and the tail are kind of half the size. They operate a little differently. So okay. when okay. they say segment one, segment two, segment three, they're talking about the three blocky areas in the middle. Okay. And Ember doesn't seem that put off by the fact that he's just been informed someone died and he steps forward and he just goes, all right, well, I assume you all know what you need to do then. Uh, go ahead and head back exactly the way you came, make your way down to the fourth level and you let us know what you find. We'll do it better than anybody else. I would expect nothing less. We'll do our best, won't we, Al? Uh, absolutely. An honor being on board. Thank you. All right. And with that, they give you a nod and dismiss you. And uh, you're going to try and make your way down to engineering. All right. So yep. it's disorienting at first because you've only been through here one time and it was following somebody. But it's not too hard to find your way back to the connected section to get from the head segment that you were in to uh, segment one. And from there, you find yourself at the stairwell um, that leads down between the various floors. Uh, based on what they said, it's down in engineering, uh, which there is an engineering level on each of the segments. So you make your way down to the fourth floor and immediately... It is swelteringly hot and extremely loud. Um, in fact, to get into the segment, you have to open almost like a ship bulkhead where you turn the little wheel, you know, and the door opens and you close it and twist it again. And you notice as you go through that there are guard posted at that part. They just kind of give you a nod as you go through. As we, as we walk, and it's a very stiff, you know, as you raise your right arm and your right leg goes at the same time so it's kind of a whoop 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 as he goes along uh he's got a bit of a squatness and as they lower each floor a little the printer puts out a small map of that floor and as oh, they nice. make a wrong turn he arms go behind him give a little twist lower the paper back down and it adjusts the new information very nice uh so you get down to engineering and it is loud and hot and red lights line these hallways um, and you begin to make your way through segment one um, now how do you all intend to go about this you know the murder occurred in segment two are you trying to sneak your way are you trying to look like an authority like how are you going to go about your investigation Ramilda's proudly marching to segment two, talking about the time it was so hot, her car tire melted to the sand. <laughs> okay. Anybody but she's screaming that? it over her shoulder, cause this isn't loud. You know, you know, you know what loud is? Loud is when you have 150 of your closest relatives together for a barbecue. <laughs> Um, I will follow behind her 
kind of shaking my head, but I'm actually going to pull my uh, pull my bow out and knock it with one of my one of my arrows and just hold it. Okay. But I'll move I'll move at whatever pace she's moving because I, I think she's she's made it so stealth probably isn't an option for us. But she also kicked ass in that fight, so I think I'm I'm okay to follow her that way. I'm going to use the right tool for the right job as a third level artificer. I can create any tools I want from any profession. So I summon forth uh, inspector's gear, a magnifying glass, a duster for fingerprints. And as we walk along, you're all aware that this is a murder mystery train? I've read about these, and we're in one. Well, those... I know what you're talking about. Those are typically uh, a game. I hope they helped you prepare for this, because this appears not to be a game. And I hope our friend isn't involved with the nice glasses and the big homunculus uh, stature. I like that feller. Uh, oh, you mean Gens? Why would, why would Gens kill an engineer? Well, one hopes he didn't, or that he's the one who's been killed. We don't know anything about the victim either. He seems like a big guy and he can take care of himself, but who boy! I've heard some stories about what can be done if you gang up on one of them. I'm just saying, walk with caution, be careful. Let uh, uh, Matilda up there take the lead. Hey, no problem for me. I'll just hang back here. All right, you guys continue to press forward uh, through the segment. Uh, Through your magnifying glass and fingerprint duster, uh, you find lots of fingerprints. There's fingerprints on almost everything you check. Yeah, there's Uh, nothing stealthy about what every time we enter a new room, my butt goes (laughs) and prints out the next bit of the map. Um, From them, go ahead and make a perception check or actually an investigation check. Let's do that. is a 16. Okay, so as you're going through, your investigation yields uh, that uh, there is light structural damage to segment one that is going to need attention in the next four to six weeks, uh, or else it will risk a breakage in the bottom section, uh, which you don't entirely know what that would do based on how hot the bottom of the vehicle runs so it could be far more catastrophic than they anticipate you might want to inform someone of that um you notice uh that there is a large deal of engineers in this segment that are pretending to be busy uh that when they are Within eyeshot, they look like they're working, but based on your knowledge of how this vehicle runs and operates, what they are doing would read as busy to the layman, but they are not doing anything of any importance whatsoever. They are absolutely faking it. Um, And uh, that's about all you learn from section one uh, that's of note. Beyond that, it's people doing their jobs, fingerprints on everything, it's a machine, but it seems to be in working order until you make your way to the cross-section between segment one and segment two. Are you guys going to proceed? Yeah. 
Yes. All right. You move into uh, segment two. It looks almost exactly the same. And unlike uh, when you were moving between segments on the upper levels, the lower levels, the engineering level, looks almost like a mirror image from one section to another. Um, there's pillars, there's walkways, there's lots of gears, there's lots of machinery in the middle, lots of heat, lots of steam, very loud. Um, and you begin making your way. And it doesn't take long within this room before you notice a gathering of people and a body sprawled out on the floor. Make way! Make way! Our group is here to figure out what happened. And you see the they all look to be engineers for the most part, and they're, all right, back up, back up, back up, guys. Give them room. The guard's here. And uh, down on the ground, you see someone dressed much the same way most of the engineers are, very light clothing. Uh, they are wearing hard hats. Um, and uh, based on how hot it is down here, they don't wear much. They wear very, very light clothing, um, tank tops, that sort of thing. And uh, you can see uh, four puncture wounds in his back and a pool of blood around him. Are they pattern-like or random? They seem random. Okay. Seemingly random, definitely all at the back. Can we tell from the back if it's our guy, if it's our engineering guy? <laughs> Make an investigation check. Okay. Twelve. You don't know anybody on this ship, so you don't know if he... Uh, well, you know a couple people, but you don't know anybody in engineering besides Gens. So you can't say for sure that this is an engineer, but he's dressed like the in other engineers, so it's a pretty safe guess that this uh, this is the engineer you're looking for. The engineers we saw that were acting busy, uh, were they, did they have certain tools in hand for their job? Um, they were mostly operating uh, along the wall. It was definitely one of those like, oh, turning levers. Like they had the worker belts, but they weren't like pretending to hammer anything or anything like that. It was just sort of like, oh, got to flip this switch, got to read this, got to look at this. Cool. So I know we're not in motion, but it seems as though as I walk through that they're more about running the thing, not like constantly repairing the thing. Right. Okay. Um, actually, go ahead and run in a uh, go ahead and run a just a straight intelligence check. Thirteen. Okay. Wait. Oh, it's a check. Uh, Fifteen. Okay, you uh, you get the impression that the engineering staff here, um, based on the size of the vessel and the amount of moving parts based on what Gens told you on the way over, does require near constant maintenance. Uh, this is a thing that runs super hot and over rocky terrain, um, which makes for a lot of random damage it might incur, and it needs a lot of maintenance. Uh, you get the impression that the wide variety of engineering staff and the amount of people that they keep employed for that would probably have to facilitate not just keeping it um, keeping it going and doing work, but also maintenance as well. Okay. Can I judge then from any discarded tools? Or I know they're like face down, uh, but 
did they drop anything? A notebook, a wrench? Uh, the, the dead engineer? Yes. Uh, yeah. So you see down around uh, the hands that they do have a small notebook um, where they had jotted notes. Um, there's no loose tools or anything uh, that you can see. Um, but you do uh, you do see that they have the work belt that you're seeing with a lot of tools on it. A notebook, if I may. And bending completely at the waist, just woo, right down into an L shape. Pick up that notebook and see if there's anything inside. Main page, last page. Uh, as you flip through, go ahead and make an investigation check. That'd be a five. Okay. You flip through very quickly. Um, you can tell your friends are kind of just watching, or your allies are just watching you at this point. And so you do a cursory glance, and it looks like scribblings. It's bad handwriting, diagrams. Doesn't Nothing immediately catches your eye on a cursory flip through. You could take the time to do a more in-depth reading if you wanted. Um to, to actually gain the knowledge of what's in there, but for a quick flip, you don't see much. Okay. Anything else anybody wants to do at the site of the body? No. He's dead. And I it's clear he's dead. Yeah, there appears to be no question about the deceased. The question is, can we find the perpetrator? Why wouldn't someone who killed this guy come forward proudly, proclaim it as their own? Not everybody thinks about death and murder and fighting the way you do, sister. Um, While you're staring at the dead body, uh, one of the engineers kind of steps forward and goes, excuse me. Um, you're the you're the new guard they hired, right? Yes, we are. That, that's us. Um, I don't look. I'm not proud to say this, but um, I work a little further down this compartment, and uh, I heard I heard yelling, I heard screaming, and I heard footsteps coming towards me, and. Uh, not proud to say I got out of there, but um, if you're looking for somebody, he's probably down that way. He gestures further down into the car. Then further we shall go. Alright. Ramilda, are you stepping forward and moving further down the car? Unless someone stops her. I don't think there's any stopping her, so I will follow her. Okay, Al, you going along too? Yes. All right, and uh, Strum is going along. He seems to be a very casual fellow that just seems to be following you at this point uh, and not taking much initiative of his own, so he, he follows. And so as our four investigators uh, walk further down into the halls of engineering inside the belly of this ship. We will call it there 
and find out what they investigate next time. Man, I'm loving it. There's so much world building today. It's really good. A uh, bunch of people in the chat are like, this is like Snowpiercer, we're on the dirt. Like, <laughs> I've actually never seen Snowpiercer. Oh, you should. It's really cool. It's very cool. It's very, it's weird. But you should see yeah, it. yeah. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. It's a cool story. Yeah, it's pretty good. I haven't seen the TV show yet, but I hear that's also of note. Uh, <clears throat> there you go, everybody. Well done, well done, well done. Uh, we dedicate that whole thing to Bo, who couldn't be here tonight. Uh, but some good D&D was had. Oh, he's, now he's in the chat, and he's clapping. I see him in the chat. He's clapping. Yep, he's hey, clapping. Bo. Thanks, Bo. Thanks for the claps. We appreciate it. Uh, don't forget that if you like what you hear on the show, there's a great way to support us uh, while we do it, and that's over at therewillbedungeons.com. Become a Dungeons Plus supporter, and um, every month you can help us do cool stuff. We appreciate everybody who's already doing it. You get bonus content, bonus shows. You get art in the mail every month, all kinds of great rewards. If you head over now to therewillbedungeons.com and jump that, jump in even the lowest level, and that'll get you a lot of that stuff. Read all about it at therewillbedungeons.com. That's going to do it for us. Thank you all for being here and watching and listening. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm missing my thing. There we go. Uh, if you've got any questions for us, we'd love to have them. Go to the site. There's a couple places where you can enter your questions. Send us an email, or you can just click on the little link. Or There's like a little box there. It's super simple. <coughs> we like to answer those questions on our bonus shows as well. So keep those coming. We're at There Be Dungeons on Twitter. That'll do it for us, for me, for Kristen, for Kyle, for John, and for Bo. We'll see you next time. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com.